The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. International man of mystery, world travel man, author extraordinaire. You're uh, you have a a broad range of experiences that you can draw upon, Mr. Chris Ryan. And I uh, do, but appreciate you very much coming back here you. again. It's, Thanks, man. It's an honor. Oh, please, it's an honor to have have you back. Uh, your book is amazing. If you haven't read it, uh, it's uh, I've been <clears throat> reading it over the past few months, um, along with uh, the new Steve Rinella book, Meat Eater. I, get, I, I throw you back and forth with this book. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a great book, man. It, there's so much interesting shit in it. It's uh, it's such a, a fascinating sort of exposure about sexuality and evolution and how we sort of evolved and how we've you know got to this point where it's kind of a it's gotten away from us and mm. there's all this. I think Duncan Trussell said it best. He said that you exercise shame from people. <laughs> you know what? I, <laughs> I actually, love that term. I, I, mean, told, I told you I'm working on a new website using Squarespace. Yes. Yeah, yes. which is not bullshit. I'm not it's saying that because they're yeah. your sponsor. But my, you know, we got Chris Ryan and then under it says uh, author, public speaker or something, uh, shame exorcist. <laughs> 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 I, I love that phrase. Yeah, well, your that book is uh, yeah for a lot of people. It makes you go, oh, okay, that's where these fucked up thoughts are coming. I'm not fucked up. Everybody's the system's fucked up. Oh, we're right. living in this crazy time of shame, time of uh, you know, oddly defined uh, identities and roles that we're supposed to take on that seem very unnatural. Yeah. You know, and it's. Uh, it's weird times. We live in weird times sexually. I think we do. I, you know, the Chinese thing, you know, may you live in interesting times, yes. which is a curse, uh-huh. you know. But I think we do. We do live in very interesting times. There's a quote we use in the book from the playwright Arthur Miller, who was married to Marilyn Monroe for a while. He said, uh, an era can be considered over when its basic illusions have been exhausted. I love that quote. It's basic illusions have been exhausted. Yes. And I think we live in a time where pretty much all our basic illusions are exhausted. Politics, nobody thinks they're well, – the shit that's going on in Washington is anything other than, you know, back deal trading for whatever. You know, um, banking, nobody believes banking is, is for the good of the country anymore. It's like people have realized that everyone's on the take. The institutions are not respected and that includes – marriage to a large extent and so there's this struggle going on over marriage and monogamy and gay rights you know in terms of uh same-sex marriage so i think we're in this war i mean there's so many things diet you know you're on the forefront of a lot of this sort of recalibrating you know what works what's right what actually has benefits Mm. you know as opposed to the bullshit that we're being fed all the time so and i think a lot of it's due to the internet probably that you can you know, if your message is strong enough, it doesn't matter who you are or who's backing you. You can reach people. So I think, yeah, I think we're in really interesting times. It's there's um, <clears throat> an effect on our culture uh, that the workforce, the workplace brings, and it's <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Every day during the workplace, uh, at the workplace. You want some of my black butt? Oh, no, I'm good. Thanks, man. That's a beer. That's a beer, ladies and gentlemen. It's Black Butte. Oh, Butte. Yeah, B-U-T-T-E, sir. Butte. It's a delicious porter ale. I'll, I would like to have one of those. Can Jim can get one? It's, um, yeah, I, I drank some of that for the first time when I was, uh, man, I want to say Chicago. Where I think I was in Chicago. Yeah. It was like the greatest beer I've ever had in my life. From Bend, Oregon. Yeah. What's the name know. of the company? Uh, Deschutes. Yeah, I'm, Deschutes Brewery. Yeah, Deschutes 
Hey, yeah. how dare you? Now, how they, dare you? They should be a sponsor. I mean, no, really. Just, how about we just pump them up for free? Just for free. All right. Well, it's good. It's good beer. And that's from a guy who doesn't like porter much. I was saying earlier, it's normally kind of heavy and sweet for me, but this is nice. Yeah, no, no, that's delicious. What were we talking about before we got off uh, of the Workplace. You were talking oh, about yeah, the workplace. Work, thanks, sir. The, I really feel like because of the fact that you have to, when you're in an office all day, especially um, with uh, men and women working together, there's this sort of professionalism that you have to project. There's this sort of fake way of communicating where – you, you've completely eradicated anything sexual from the menu of conversation. Yeah. And even discussing it in the periphery, dancing around it with a joke, can easily get you fired. Yeah. Now, you know about this dongle gate thing? Are you aware of this? No, I've heard reference to it, but I haven't looked into <clears> it. I... It's a fascinating story that has taken place over the last few days mm. in the uh, tech world. There was a woman, a <clears throat> uh, self-professed feminist... Uh, Blogger woman. Sorry, folks. I got a little phlegm. James, give me um, some tissues. I got to blow my nose. Um, this woman uh, was at a conference, and some men behind her made a joke about dongles. It was, you know, someone said dongle on stage. They essentially, they were like... What is a dongle? I don't know. Some oh, part okay. of something. Some, right. But it, what they were essentially doing was... Um, doing like a high-tech version of Beavis and Butthead. Like, he said, dongle. <laughs> I wonder how big his dongle was. You know, so these guys, I don't know what the joke was. Yeah. But, so she takes a photo of these guys and then puts that photo online and says, hey, these guys are violating the code of conduct for the seminar. And these guys are on, you know, at, in your conference. They're, they're making jokes about dongles right. not cool right okay so these guys get fired and uh one guy gets fired he's got three kids and this woman writes this blog sort of justifying like the environment that you know that sort of makes cool and that right. the reason why she decided to come out is because there was a little girl on stage or a little girl in the room or whatever and she was thinking what what this little girl you know, if I don't stand up and stop this, what is she going to be exposed to? Which is kind of grandiose when you're talking about dongles. <laughs> I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. But what's truly fascinating yeah, about yeah. this whole thing is, uh, first of all, the response by the Internet. Because the man was fired. Um, but don't put those guys online, dude. Why are we doing that? I mean, I there's no showing, need to keep from. Yeah, I know. I mean, I just don't think. They didn't ask to be online. Those guys never asked to be. T those those photos were taken by this woman and yeah. turned into this big thing. She has like an online media thing that she does already. Yeah. So she is like a big presence, right. a lot of Twitter followers. And she just took a photo of these guys and just put them out in the world yeah. for no reason. I mean, yeah. they didn't ask for it. Right. And she says, here's the guys that tell the dongle joke. So one guy gets fired. She writes this crazy blog. And Anonymous jumps in. And they're like, what? Fuck you. Oh, really? Yeah. They were like, this is absolutely fucking oh, preposterous. The way them. this woman's behaving is repulsive. And it just, no they went off. And so they, they threatened the company. And they said they were going to you know go after their clients. And they were going to, you know, denial of service attacks and whatever yeah. they were going to do. Right. They are like, I don't know if they even directly threatened it or, you know, indirectly threatened it. Yeah. But they're like, you, you got to, this is just the beginning. You got to get rid of this chick. And they fired her immediately. Oh, I thought you meant the company that fired the guy. Did they different bring the company. guy back? Oh, different I don't know company. if they brought the guy back. But oh. you really, the guy should get a job at a company that's not a bunch of fucking pussies. Because that's the most ridiculous shit ever. Good luck Dongle? finding one, man. 
you know, isn't it like the word everybody dongle gets is nothing? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I I haven't had a job since the '80s, so I'm not the guy to really, you know, right. But I can't imagine pissing into a cup to have a job. I, I don't understand that. <sighs> drug test. We're yeah. Drug test. We're yeah. Insanity. Complete insanity. And what the fuck does it matter if I smoked a joint two weeks ago and I come into work today? What the hell are we talking yeah. about? It's, it's insane. Complete total insanity. And yeah. it's it's just this sort of um, design to get people moving in this direction of blind obedience. Right. And that's what your employer would like for you. Right. But by the way, you. I think that's another one of these basic illusions that's exhausted. We got Rand Paul yes. coming out for legalizing drugs. Apparently. Yes. I, yeah. I just saw the headline. You know, so I, I think maybe we've turned a corner. It's gotten so crazy that, you know, Anonymous is standing up. That's great. I think the Internet represents the real mind of the people today. And I think right. when when a big movement like this sweeps across the Internet, and this is a very minor one. Let's let's go with a major one. Let's go with WikiLeaks. Right. The, um, the overwhelming support of, of WikiLeaks by people online as opposed to how it's represented in the mainstream media right. is a big difference. Well, isn't it people online? It's like people 35 and under mostly. I don't think so anymore. No, I don't think that's applicable anymore. I think pretty much everybody's online. I think mm. there's been a, over the last decade, there's been this assimilation towards older and older folks. And then the people who are 30 are now 40. And it's just, it's, you know, yeah. I think the, the ideas are too powerful and the method of distribution is too powerful. And now we're dealing with this ancient paradigm that doesn't, it doesn't really work with the amount of information that we have today. It's like this old car that we're trying to keep fixing and putting new tires on but it's cuba. a fucking model t it's a piece of shit <laughs> yeah it worse than cuba because cuba's got at least cool nice old cars, cars. <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly they really take care of well oh beautiful. it's, a, it's an amazing model of like recycling yeah. and like, true recycling and the the unnecessary aspects of constantly getting new and improved things a friend of mine wrote a book called the chase chevrolet and and Castro's Oldsmobile or something like that. I mean, his name's Richard Schweid. It's he's written this guy is so interesting. He's published like seven books. One on chili peppers, one on cockroaches, one on uh, you know, life after death, one on Cuban cars. He just like eels. He's got a book on eels. Wow. He just like gets a hair up his ass and decides something's interesting and he'll just like, you know, run it down and write a book about it and then move on to something else. That's amazing. Yeah. What, what I was saying earlier yeah, uh, before I got before I got sidetracked um, about the workplace is that the suppression of your true humanity in the workplace, your your ability to be right. free and to be yourself right. and to be to joke around and have fun. Uh, especially when there's intersex politics, when there's, you know, there's a cross of men and women working together. There's this sort of like fakeness that goes on all day. And then there's this other level of fakeness that goes on when you're out in the, the nightlife time and you're trying to get laid. Like, so there's that fakeness as well. Yeah. And there's just such a small percentage of time that humans, men and women throughout the day, interact with each other on a truly honest level. You know, so like, it takes fucking decades to understand each other. It takes decades as a man to under just try to wrap your head around the idea of wanting babies growing inside of you and wanting dicks and you know and being attracted to men. Just wrapping your head around that. It's a very strange concept. Yeah. And because we bullshit each other all day at work, before, because we bullshit each other when we go out on dates or, or social events, we pretend to be someone you know more sophisticated or interesting than we truly are. Yeah. 
Um, I think that the amount, the amount of time it takes before you start understanding how people really are as opposed to these bizarre p- patterns that we keep following. You know, yeah. it seems – And you didn't even mention media. Think yeah. of all the bullshit media pumps into us about – each other, men and women. In you know, I have had a unique relationship with uh, with television, and then I've been on a couple shows that went on a long time. I was on news radio for five years, and then I was on Fear Factor for six years. Right. So when people say, "Oh, there's a conspiracy, and the government's trying to dumb us down through television." That's not what's happening. Mm. What's happening is that's what you're buying. Right. That's what they're selling because that's what you're buying. Right. And that's one of the reasons why it's gotten darker and weirder over the past few years because yeah. you're on the internet now. And yeah. America, The Walking Dead could not have fucking existed a decade ago. There's right. no way you could have that on television. I saw a dude get his yeah. leg hacked off with a hatchet. You know, I mean, you see, you yeah. see crazy bad. shit. I couldn't yeah. believe what was on. But the, the sheer yeah. violence and insanity of The Walking Dead is impossible mm. without the internet. Right. You know, and, and video games. Probably. Yes, yeah. sure, video yeah. games. Absolutely, these uncensored environments. But that information's there now, yeah. so they have to adjust and change things. But the reason why Fear Factor existed or or CSI exists, it's not that the government is like trying to uh, convince you if you make a mistake. Mistake will catch you. We can take your fingerprints from the air. You know, like no, 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 no. It's just that's what you want. You want crime shows. You're right. buying crime shows. Right. If you buy crime shows, well, because you're scared. Because you're like, what's happening in the world? Well, oh, what if the bad guy? So you're living your life mm. in these weird paranoid ideas through this artificial medium. Right. But no one's trying to brainwash you. You think they are, but it's really more a matter of this is what people actually buy. Yeah. And is it because that's what they've been sold forever? Yeah, that too. Definitely that too. Yeah. But there's a lot of dummies out there. There's no, a lot of dummies I... that just want to sit in front of that TV and watch someone get go to, yeah. what's going to happen on Law & Order? I'm going to guess the bad guy's going to lose because I'm in fucking the final crazy. Act. In yeah. the final... You know, I agree, I agree with you. I, although I do think that there is... It's not brainwashing, but I think uh, – who is it? Marshall McLuhan who said the medium is the message, right? Yeah. So there's certain things that you sell that are, that are easier to sell through TV. So you sell those, right? And th- the structure – I mean I'm writing this book now. It's Civilized to Death it's called. And so I'm really like deep into this shit. But it's like there are uh, – institutions are organic beings. Companies yeah. are organic beings. So they – you're right. They sell. They they provide what sells because they're they need to eat. They need to feed. You know, and grow. But I do think that there are structural. How can I say it? Like structural biases that that divert or or uh, you know sort of focus the media in different ways. And I think internet is great because it's so dispersed. Mm-hmm. Whereas TV is very. I'm selling to you. Right. I don't hear a thing you say except through Nielsen ratings or some shit like that. Which... Yeah, it's like they're getting smoke signals. They're not getting a conversation. Right. Whereas the internet, it's yeah. like, wow, you got clicks, you got yeah. eyes, you can measure everything. It's, yeah. It's and interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the idea of, you know, this is what we're going to offer you doesn't exist on the internet. The, the, the choices are so vast. that yeah. And the, the freedom that anybody, like you have a podcast, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, anybody Tangentially can. 
speaking. As you can tell, it's my style. <laughs> go off. Perf- yeah, me too. Fighting. Yeah, well, it's, you're, you're perfect for this, for this podcast. <laughs> um, that, that you know, any anything along these lines, the, the YouTube videos that people have, the Young Turks, right. people have these uh, video. Uh, my last episode was with the Young Turks. Yeah, yeah. That, see yeah. that that couldn't have existed. Yeah, we talked about you. Yeah, oh, they, they, they like cool. you. Yeah, okay, I like them too. Yeah, yeah. It couldn't have existed without without the YouTube possibility. Right. You know, the, the internet possibility without without that sort of a platform and i think that's sort of overwhelming the old paradigm and it's slowly starting to erode um but i i I also feel that the workplace like people people having to bullshit all day is counterproductive to it and it becomes a major part of your awake time programming yeah it's it's so american too yes i have to say in spain you know it's I can't speak for Spain in general, but I've been there 20 years, so I, I you know, I've, I'm pretty well uh, familiar with the culture. But it's like one of the things I love about Spain is that politically correct sort of, you know, men are the enemies of women, and you know, adolescent joking can get you fired from your job. That isn't happening mm. now. Women could have a legitimate point by saying, yeah, because women's status in Spain isn't as high as it is in, you know, there aren't legal protections and, you know, women get, you know, harassed in the street or whatever. And that's all true. So I don't mean to say Spain is across the board better. But one thing I notice in Spain and I love about Spain is that women, women don't assume you're a rapist because you smile at them. You know, they they don't assume you've got bad intentions. In fact, they assume you probably have good intentions and you just find them attractive and they smile back and everybody keeps walking. And there's no it's like a win win. You know, there's no assumption of victimization going on. And I think in America, there's this assumption, you know, that that, you know, there's a little girl on stage and these guys are making a dumbass joke. Somehow that's connected. And I got to expose this. I don't I don't see that. In Spain, you don't see that sort of shit. Well, the 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 fury that people had was this: they weren't joking with her. They weren't. Yeah. Like, they were. They're, they're joking amongst themselves right. in literally the most innocent language possible for describing a dick, right. you know, or in alluding to a dick. Right. And that was enough for her to go. Oh, I've had enough. Like that's there's a craziness to that. And someone made a video yeah. called uh, "Toxic Women and Stupid Men," and it's on YouTube. And it de- de- oh, really? very in a very intelligent way details why people that think like this are a real issue, and the men who allow them to get away with it without saying this is preposterous, they're a real issue too. Because there's a lot of white knights out there. There's a lot of really dumb, weak dudes that want to pretend that they're with the girls. They think like, you know, you're right, these men are assholes, and they'll make videos about it, and what they're looking for is like feminine brownie points. They want feminists to look at them and say, yeah, you're one of us. And it's not necessarily that they, they don't actually think that way. A lot of people are like, you're wrong that you do i i believe you do think like that but i'm telling you that the motivation for anybody thinking like that is false you have a crazy ridiculous way of looking at things it's unbalanced if you had no sex whatsoever not male nor female and you looked at that as two human beings and one human being was fired because another human being made a joke about something that was being referenced on stage in a playful manner should that person be take sex out of it should that person be fired right and if you say yes, you're a cunt. Right. That's that's the reality of the situation. You're you're a fucking toxic person. That's right. a shitty way of looking at things. Yeah. And by the way, I would should stress that this woman did not want these guys to be fired. Uh, she did right. not think that was her intent. She wanted uh, them shut up. Right. And so whatever it is, maybe she's self righteous. Maybe she likes to go off on tangents. Yeah. I don't think she should be fired. I don't think he should be fired. I think it has nothing to do with whatever the fuck they right. do during the day. But I think it's fascinating when 
people are forced to behave in a certain way. Like you, you're, you're, you're locked into this sort of nonsense environment where you can't even talk about dongles. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's an article on salon.com, I think last week I linked to it and it's, it started this big firestorm on my Facebook page, uh, where a woman wrote about an experience she'd had the first time she'd had sex. I think she was 15 or something. And she was with a guy a couple of years older and, um, she just, she, so she, had a few too many I read drinks. This. You read it. Yeah. You know? And so she was saying that wasn't rape. Right. I made a bad decision. I yeah. had sex that I later regretted. It wasn't rape. And apparently, like, whoo, there's a huge firestorm around this. Yes, there is, because there's the feminist movement right now. Then one of the ideas that they're pushing is the idea that is in place, I believe, in Sweden, whereas the you know, mm. where the the idea being that regret um, means that you can withdraw your consent. Which is where uh, Julian Assange yes. is being accused of rape, yes. even though the woman he supposedly raped went out with him again the next night. Yeah, and had sex with him right before. What, what it, he was being accused of, I, be, I don't want to speak out of school, but I'm pretty sure it was called surprise sex. That was the idea. And they were sleeping and they had sex again yes. without a condom. Exactly. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. she didn't want this or she was upset at this or whatever. You know, right. obviously they were looking to get at him for something else. Yeah. But that's... That's about as obvious as you can get. That one, I mean, that is just <laughs> fucking cr- – oh, it yeah. just so happens that right. it's the same guy? That oh, you got no conspiracy. beef with him about yeah. leaking all that information. That's cool because there's no law against that, right? Is that yeah. what's going on? Yeah. But the other shit, you can, you can lock him up in a fucking and Bradley embassy Bradley Manning? Form. What yeah. the fuck, man? They torture Bradley Manning. You they know? truly he's, tortured he's him. He's a hero. Yeah. That guy was in solitary, solitary confinement yeah. for some insane hundreds and hundreds of days with no contact with another person. Yeah. Which they say literally can make you crazy. Yeah, sure. And there's – they wouldn't. They would take his clothes off because they thought that he was a security risk. So he's cold and lights naked. All night. Lights all yeah. night. Lights constantly. And you know for what? Because he did what really his patriotic duty led him to believe that he should do. Right. He should release information that he believes is contrary to the nature of the the contrary to the idea of what most people view of the military as as only good guys right. over there killing bad guys and contrary to the the law yes you know international and american law yeah yeah he yeah. what he did Geneva was what the course. new york times is supposed to do what right. you know what, what daniel what, ellsberg did yeah yeah there's uh, you know so i think the I, the view of that that's getting back to the internet thing on the on the internet, that's pretty. I mean, amongst the people that I communicate with, that's pretty much unanimous. I mean, pretty much everybody is like, well, you know, at the very least, this exposes a real issue that should be dealt with in the in the military. But you don't hear that from mainstream media. Right. From mainstream media, they have eliminated that guy from the discussion. You never yeah. hear him being talked about. See, that's what I was saying earlier. Like the the structure of the of the institution dictates what information can go through there. So because yeah. of the corporate interest, because GE owns NBC or whatever, right. there and GE also makes the fucking missiles and the helicopters and the rest of it, they're not going to be able to take that perspective because yes. they're not independent. That's right. bullshit, right? As some p- people like the Young Turks come along, they really become archaic. They don't make any sense anymore because right. the Young Turks will tell you, you know they're going to tell you what they believe 100%, what that guy believes. What They might not be right. They might be, I mean, he was off about Breitbart, uh, about with the mm. whole Andrew Weiner thing. Yeah. He made fun of Breitbart for releasing he's that. Jank. Yeah, yeah, saying he's an idiot for doing it. And it turned out to be true. Right. But you know that, that he's, that's him. That's him. Right. You know what I mean? He's talking straight to the camera. So right. maybe he doesn't have the, the correct information at the time, 
But w- what he's telling you, it's not being pushed by producers. It's not right. being pushed by a network. It's not being p- pushed by a corporate entity behind the network. Right. You can't say that about the news that we've come to accept as the mainstream news, whether it's CNN or Fox. There's no individual voice. There's no individual point of view. Yeah. And, you know, especially, I mean, occasionally you you have people will give editorials, but those editorials are just, Jesus Christ, they're like cartoonish. They're cartoonish right. and nonsensical, especially like Fox News is going to be about the Democrats. Obama's fucking up and yeah. return to socialism. It's going to be so, it's so obvious. <laughs> you don't even have to say it. Just show me what color flag are you holding up. You got yeah. a red flag or a blue flag. Right. I got your message. Just think. Show yeah. me a red. Show right. me a, a flash of red. And that idea yeah. is basically just as good as whatever the fuck comes out of your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to have me back a third time, huh? Because we're never going to talk about No, this. we will, though, man. We will. We will. I'm, I'm, but I really wanted to have you on um, after this, this thing, this dongle gate broke out. Because um, I think one of the things that your book really, uh, really highlights is the weirdness in which women are not supposed to accept their sexuality or accept the fact that they get horny or right. broadcast it in any way or even you know acknowledge it, and that if there's a sexual joke going on where a man even if he doesn't even involve that woman, makes some sort of a sexual joke that somehow that woman is a victim because she doesn't want to have anything to do with sex. Right. She doesn't want to have anything to do with their, either their advances or jokes about Victorian it. Victorian image. You know, the Victorian era, you only had sex with your wife in order to have babies. Right. You had sex to have sex with courtesans, with prostitutes, with, you know, the housemaid, with whatever. You didn't fuck your wife for fun. Or for pleasure. Was that across the board? Like every, it, they agree, well, is upper, to? upper class Victorian British society across the board. You know, on, in France and in other European societies, there was a different vibe. But that's the society Darwin came out of, right? And as we are, try to explain in the book, that's the mentality that informs our understanding and the scientific view of human sexual evolution. Because Darwin was an uptight guy. He was great. He was a genius. He was a cool guy. But he was super repressed sexually. Did, yeah, he never had sex ever, right? Isn't that Only the case? with his wife, whom, who was his first cousin from the Wedgwood family, which is the Wedgwood China fortune. You know, they're still, they're still making China in, in England. Um, and she was 30, I think. He was 29. And his brother married another I confused sister. it with Newton. Right. Newton was asexual, Yeah, Newton right? was asexual, right. Yeah. Didn't in, in, during the excuse me during the Victorian era didn't they cover up like legs of pianos right and tables and chairs <laughs> and yes oh yeah because it would excite people yes oh it's so God. it's yeah. so amazing it's like the burka now you know that's why oh it's crazier than the burka yeah but you I know mean, what's cool about the burka I, I'm I'm doing this I'm pitching this TV show which seems like it's going to get picked up by the way and, and uh, um, one of the um, episodes is about. Is based on the story I heard from a woman who worked at Victoria's Secret in London. And she told me that most of the lingerie they sold was to very wealthy Saudi and Kuwaiti women who came in and would just like buy out the store because they wear sexy lingerie under their burqas. 
Yeah, but it's under that stupid tent. That's, <laughs> but, that's but only they good for feel one dude. Sexy. Yeah, they, feel they do. I mean, it's got to be compensating for the fact yeah. that they're forced to wear that stupid I outfit. Know, I, know. I don't think there's anything good about that outfit. Yeah. I mean, I, the only thing good about it is if you're the the man. Like, man, nobody gets a look at this shit. Yeah. This is mine. I'm going into the tent. It's just the, the what you know. What's offensive is not the religious connection to it. The suppression, the idea right. that a woman has to wear that. Right. It's the most suppressing thing ever. You're yeah. covering everything about your identity. Right. Especially it fucks up a girl if she's in a shit relationship and she's looking for a, uh, another dude. She's looking for a little escape plan. Right. You know, that guy right. know what the fuck he's getting into. Right. Or dressed. she's getting abused and exactly. nobody can see her her. Marks. So, that's yeah. another way. Yeah, yeah, that's another point. Yeah. But anyway, I, I jumped off. What were we talking about? Fucking burkas and shit. Uh, before that, <laughs> what the hell was it? Oh man, I'm not even stoned. And oh, we were just talking about the suppression of sexuality that women uh, don't feel like. Uh, oh, know. Victorians and Darwin yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- when we originally pitched this book, it was called "What Darwin Didn't Know About Sex." And the idea was to write a biography of Darwin's sex life and then, like, <laughs> tie that into our modern misconceptions of sexuality. Because he went I and mean, he had lots of opportunity, right? He went on the Beagle all down around South America, across the South Pacific. They stopped in Tahiti, which is sexual paradise, especially in the 19th century. It was? It was sexual uh, paradise? That's why the mutiny on the bounty happened. Because the, the bounty, you've seen the movie, right? The Marlon Brand. No, movie. I haven't. I uh, never saw that movie. Well, it's this... Uh, so the 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 bounty, uh, I guess, was Captain. Oh, I don't remember what his name was. Captain something Flesher or something like that. But anyway, it was a British uh, whaling ship, I think, or mapping ship, maybe. But anyway, it stopped in Tahiti to uh, spend about a month or two months there to like you know get fresh water and fix the ship and do all this stuff. Meanwhile, the dudes went down and they were on the island. And there's a very relaxed sexual uh, situation in Tahiti and in many parts of the world. And so these repressed British sailors who hadn't seen a woman in God knows how long, suddenly there are all these beautiful women around who are happy to have sex with them just for fun. And uh, so these guys are getting laid left and right. And then the the badass captain says, all right, everybody back on the ship. We're going back to sea. They get about you know four hours out to sea and there's a mutiny. Because the dudes are like, fuck this. We're, I don't want to go back to England. We're going back to Tahiti, man. So that's what they did. So this is this famous case because there was like lots of nice pussy in Tahiti, <laughs> you know? You mean nice women. When you say pussy, you're, you're, you're objectifying women. You're breaking them down to one body part. You're right. There's a nice gash. I know what you're – hey, that's even worse. <laughs> I know your intentions are pure, sure, but for our women friends out there, that would – be the white knight take on it well done well you know done. calling them you know calling them by their sexual organs is really not cool man well last night i was at a party and and a woman said something said some guy was a real dick and i and everyone laughed and i said that's funny if if i said someone was a cunt well, that would be sort of nasty right and like so we got into this whole conversation about how come one body part's offensive and the other isn't well cunt is like if she called him a cock that guy's a cock that like might even, even be that a is still, mm, depending on how the guy felt about the girl, you know, if he th- thought she thought he was the shit, that would be a problem. Yeah. That'd be devastating. I was a couple of weeks ago. I gave a TED talk, you know, talking about this corporate environment, and um, 
you know, Ted is Ted's wonderful. I think you had a guest. You had a guy who was there, Eddie uh, Huang. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and like, Graham Hancock, who also has had issues with Graham him Hancock's had a very interesting situation. And Sheldrake, yeah. Sheldrake by the way, Rupert yeah. Sheldrake is good friends with Stanley Krippner, who you're going to be interviewing mm, Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I th- he probably knows Hancock as well. I don't know. Um, All those old hippies stick together. Yeah, yeah, intellectual <laughs> freaky yeah. guys. Um, but uh, anyway, so I've got this presentation, and when I did the rehearsal, one of the slides in the presentation is that I've used all over and, you know, colleges all over and stuff, it's got – I'm talking about testicular ratio and how that explains certain things about our ancestors. So I've got – in one corner, there's a gorilla lying on his back in the sun, and there's, like, nothing. He's got no balls at all. They're, like, the size of kidney beans. They're inside his abdomen, so you don't see anything. On the other corner, there's a bonobo who's got balls the size of chicken eggs. And in the middle, there's a picture of this buddy of mine in a, in a Speedo sitting on a hammock, and he's got pretty big balls. And so the, it says, like, gorilla, bonobo, and over my friend, it says Italian, right? And that always gets a huge laugh when I do that. <laughs> I did this at TED, and, and they were like, okay, you know, after the rehearsal, they were like, oh, that was really good. That's great. Except that one slide <laughs> – and they, they thought Italians would be offended. Oh, my God. And I was saying, you tell an Italian he's got big balls. That's a compliment. Little do they know they have big balls because the Italian women are so promiscuous. <laughs> that's, that's, you read the book. Yes. <laughs> devastating. <laughs> devastating to the Italian mentality. Exactly. Damn, I can't believe it. And maybe that's the part that's yeah. insulting. The size you. of your package is directly proportionate <laughs> to how slutty you, the girls around you are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't say slutty. And that was a, another fascinating aspect of your book that I learned the origins of the word promiscuous, that everybody sort of assumes that promiscuous – when you know, say girl's promiscuous, that she just sleeps with strangers and mm-hmm. runs around. She's got loose morals. That's not the root of the word. The root of the word is mixed, meaning she has sex with more than one person or she has relations with more than one person yeah. and generally speaking probably knew those people her entire life because the, the real origins of these sort of orgiastic tribal societies are that there's only 50 of them. They were living together in the woods right. and they knew each other from the time they were born and they, they had sex with each other. They had sexual relationships with more than one person and our ideas – of you know monogamy monogamy it's great if it works for you if it works for you in 2013 and the corporate world and the legal world it's great but if you look at 50 people living alone in the woods staying bonded together the best way for everybody to truly love each other is everybody fucks everybody i mean you 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 really are like monkey people I mean, you're you're monkey people with more advanced genetics and more advanced tools and shit, but you're essentially living not much different than, you know, than an animal with tools. You know, you're chimps. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's how people at the dawn of time lived. Yeah, those people, it would benefit them to be sexually engaged each other. It would benefit them to be polyamorous. It would benefit them to have love spread out. You know, deep, intense love with a bunch of tribal members yeah yeah no 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 question in fact when i was you know i i'd done all this research on tribal people and and their really interesting rituals that are seem designed to make sure that people don't break down into nuclear families right they're designed to make sure even though you and and this woman really like being together and, and, you know, your hammocks are next to each other and you spend most of your time together. 
that's great. And we're not saying that there was no pair bonding, right, in, in prehistory. But all these cultures seem to have these rituals to make sure that you and your woman both have sex with other people. <laughs> right? So, like, there are tattooing ceremonies where everybody has sex and it's prohibited to have sex with your normal partner. Whoa. Or where? What wacky fucking culture is this? It's in the Amazon. There are lots of them and in the South Pacific. That's what happens when you don't have the internet. <laughs> Start getting crazy. <laughs> Yeah, that's one asshole's idea. One, you know, it's one guy. Listen, I'm gonna fuck your wife. You're gonna fuck my wife. I don't want to fuck your wife, dude. Come on, <laughs> we're gonna make it a law. <laughs> make it a, make it a law. law. Anytime you have to make it a law, that's fucking silly. That I mean, their social engineering is no better than ours. Yeah, you know, well, there's you still this, do what you want. There's to do. this other society, it's the the Kulina. Uh, the Don Pollock was the anthropologist who lived with him for 20 years. Um, he talks about this ritual. I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, the, the, it translates to the order to get meat. And the women will wake up in the morning and they, they, they get together and they say, okay, let's do this thing today. So they all start singing and they'll go around the village singing the song that translates to, you guys are lazy. We don't get enough meat. When are you going to give us some meat? We want meat, right? So they're singing this, and it's. And I asked him, does meat have a double meaning? And he said, yeah, definitely. It's like same as go hunting, but also right. give us some dick, right? So while they're singing the song, they go around, and the women will beat on the post that's holding the guy's hammock. And that means if you go hunting today and you bring back some meat, I'll sleep with you tonight. So it's like a motivation to you know get out of your hammock and go hunting. But you can't hit the post of your normal partner. It has to be someone else, right? So then the men can, if they don't, like if you don't want to have sex with a woman who hit your post, you can say, oh, my stomach's not good today, <laughs> you know, whatever. I'm not feeling well. You don't have to do it. But so the guys who get up, they'll like get up and be all, oh, you know, grumbly and pissed off. And then they, they'll go leave the village together. But this area, they hunt mostly monkeys. And so they hunt independently, right? Because the monkeys are spread out. So, But before they split up to go hunting, they'll agree to meet at this certain point before they go into the village. So they uh, – or the camp or whatever. So they'll go out. Some of them will get a monkey. Some won't. They meet back at this place and they cut up the monkey so that everybody has a piece of meat going back into the village. <laughs> so everybody gets laid, right? <laughs> so – it's like pretty clearly this is all about mixing it up. And it's not just like for fun because there's nothing else to do. It's also to to um, to mitigate the risk of conflict, mm -hmm. right? Because if you get possessive about other people and their sexuality, you're going to have lots of conflicts. And mm -hmm. conflict among this small social group, as you say, it's 50 to 150 maximum, right? Because of Dunbar's number, which we can get into if you want. But we can be pretty sure that the groups were never more than 150 individuals. So the worst thing that can happen is you get schisms within that group because you're all depending on each other. You know, some people are better hunters than others. Some people are better at cooking or making bows and arrow sheds and all this kind of stuff. Is, is that the origin of Dunbar's number? Is that why we only have room in our head for supposedly like 150 close relationships? Yeah. Dunbar is a, is a biologist at either Cambridge or Oxford. I don't remember which. But he was looking at um, uh, the, the brain uh, size of different primates. And he found that he could predict the social the group of the social uh, size of the social group of any primate by looking at its neocortex and so when he looked at humans 
and made that calculation, he said, okay, it should be about 150. And then they looked at the anthropological record, and they found, yeah, interesting. When these social groups grew to more than 150, they split. They tend to split into other groups, not acrimoniously, just because of this So we've sort of developed a, a need for a certain amount of space. It's, in, yeah, it's like that's as many people as we can keep track yeah. of. And yeah. because we didn't encounter large groups, that was adequate for the time. And it takes a long fucking time for the human right. genetics to adjust to their sure. new environment, which yeah. is very odd. But it made sense for a million years. For a million years, it totally made sense until the last few hundred. Right. And then things just have gotten so strange that the, the human genetics are essentially the same as those people that are living in the Amazon. Yeah, I mean, there have been some changes. Uh, there's a great book called The 10,000-Year Explosion that talks about the, the genetic changes that have happened since agriculture. What are, the, like, the most significant ones? Well, eye color, skin color, hair color. You know, there, there were no blue-eyed people 10,000 years ago. Um, How do they know that? DNA, you know, I oh, guess. Wow. Yeah. Wow, they've got, like, 10,000-year-old people DNA, like that old dude that fell in the uh, the Iceman. Yeah. That fell in the, uh, the, the glacier. Itsy, itsy, itsy or, yeah. yeah. That's, if you haven't heard of that story, it's oh, that's a great unbelievably story. amazing story because it's such a rare find. This guy died and he fell in a crevice and the glacier went over him and, and didn't wipe him out. And that's really rare. Most yeah. things, the glaciers were like a mile high plus sometimes. And as they moved across Europe and across North America, across everywhere in the, in the world, I mean, at one point in time, there's glaciers, right? Well, except Most for places. the equatorial regions. Except yeah. for the equator, right? The, the, what they would do is just completely er, erase everything that's in front of them. Yeah. Just houses, trees, just crush everything. Rivers, Mile valleys. high of ice, crush yeah. it all. So anything that died back then that got crushed by this slow-moving glacier, we have nothing. We have no evidence of it. That's, you know, I, I've got a book idea. Uh, that relates to this. Oh. It's a, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about the glaciers erasing stuff like that. What I thought – the book idea is – you know, remember how Rumsfeld going into Iraq said there are the known knowns and the known unknowns and the unknown knowns? You know, remember that whole thing? He's, I don't remember that. He gave his press conference and somebody was, you know, talking about predicting what was going to happen. And he said there are the known knowns, the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. So the things you know you know, things you know you don't know, and the things you don't know that you don't know. Whoa. All right? It's kind of an interesting concept. Oh, shitty idea to go to war with that. <laughs> exactly. So what I was thinking is write a book about the known unknowns, mm. the things we know we don't know, but that we ignore. Like, for example, in anthro anthropology, archaeology, um, you're talking about the glaciers wiping out whatever was there, which is ab absolutely – I mean, they didn't just wipe out houses. They would wipe out the valley, you know, like Flat it's gone. Yeah. So um, it's pretty complete, you know. But the other was like one – you know, people left Africa, uh, the current understanding is about 70,000 years ago and spread out around – or 40,000 years ago. 70,000 years ago was the Toba eruption, which almost wiped out our species. There were – Genetic tests show that there are about 3,000 couples, uh, reproducing couples, that have the genetic line has continued. So there is this huge bottleneck because the Lake Toba, what is now Lake Toba in Sumatra, was this eruption that triggered an immediate ice age and like a feet of ash all over Asia and just like killed everything and triggered winter. It was really nasty. But anyway, the, the, about 40,000 years ago, 
our ancestors left Africa, the out of Africa, you know, event. And they spread out around the world, but they mostly followed the coastline, right? Which you would, right? Because right. that's where like food's washing up and there's shellfish and there, and you've got good sight lines. So those bears and leopards and shit, you'll see them coming, right? You can run into the water to get away from them. And, you know, the, the sort of um, the water that's not too deep, you don't have sharks, but it's deep enough to keep the leopards away, right? Right, right. Um, so that's – and it's easier to walk on, on the beach, right? So that's – that was the root of the huge exodus that went around the world. But sea levels were about 300 feet lower then. Whoa. So the stuff they're finding, you know, the – whatever, the stone tools or the, the remains that they're, they're finding from uh, 30,000, 40,000 years ago, those weren't typical at all. The typical people were down on the beach. So those must have been hunting parties or people who were exiled or, you know, whatever. But they weren't at all typical. That's interesting. So yeah. I bet we're missing a lot of the fossils and the, the little bits of evidence right. that, of those people that lived on the beach, which was the majority of the people. Right. Wow. And that's the stuff that's representative. So wow. it's pretty weird to build your image of a society based on evidence that you know is extraordinary yeah you know but that's what we do because that's all we got i can remember really clearly being in college uh thinking about human history um i, I don't remember what the subject of the class was but then i remember being in class and just getting an idea just for the first time but in, in very roughly of how little we know about just what the fuck actually happened. <laughs> yeah. When you really start reading yeah. books about events and, you know, I'm reading about, like, I was reading about Custer's Last Stand and, um, you know, the, the, the account of the Indian's account and the survivor's account and, you know, trying to piece it all together. I'm like, well, how crazy is it? It's really difficult to piece this together in my head, you mm -hmm. know. But today I can watch September 11 happen. Right. I can watch a plane hit the tower. I can like the the way we have recorded things today is so vastly more intricate that when I look at what I know of you know JFK getting shot, what I know of you know seeing troops in Vietnam, like this history that is you know that I think of, when you look at how little we know about ten thousand years ago, thirty thousand years ago, forty thousand years yeah. ago, and then the idea that the only way you find things is if people died in like a volcano or a mudslide, <laughs> because you got to get a fossil yeah, or fell into a peat bog. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like how, how many people fall into peat bogs? Yeah. How much? You know, <laughs> not enough. Fucking crazy. What if all the smart people just rotted in the ground? Like, I'm and not going a, to this fucking peat yeah. bog. There's yeah, a whole exactly. race of in, super intelligent people. That never went into peat bogs ever. You know, the er, the first Neanderthal remains that were found um, were like hunched over and sort of deformed. And so for a long time, the image of a Neanderthal was this deformed crazy. Turns out that was like a really diseased individual. Right. It wasn't yeah. a typical Neanderthal. Wasn't it, it's, isn't it typical, though, to find them very damaged? Oh, like, yeah, like, sure. Especially their spines. And, like, they're, they're, a lot of times they're really fucked oh, up. Oh, a lot hunts. of, uh, yeah, a lot of um, hunting accidents and also, like, w apparently a lot of wear and tear on the teeth and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would imagine. Yeah. Neanderthals. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's, um, it's just, it's really strange. I, I've often said that human beings today... It's almost like we're waking up in the middle of history. As a person, 
as an individual, I've felt that way sometimes watching a documentary or reading a book about something or trying to imagine what it would have been like several hundred years ago. It's like all this has happened already, and it's all real clear. You can sort of piece it together and go, and then we got here. and how, It's like we woke up. We woke up and go, where Where are we? Where are we? Where are we? We're on Earth. Okay. How do we get to Earth? Well, this is what we've calculated. And right. they lay out a piece of paper. Okay, Earth is near the sun, and the sun is surrounded by these other planets. There's another Earth? Most, maybe. Probably. Most likely. Actually, it's <laughs> infinite, so every possibility will exist yeah. infinite numbers yeah. of times. That's the real infinite. So you're right. like, okay, what? What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? And then someone goes, hey, man, I figured some shit out. It's called quantum theory. And you're like, what the fuck are you saying? Yeah. And then, dude, there's gorillas. You go to the jungle. They found fucking gorillas. They're big. They're black. They're, they, they're sort of human-like. Get the fuck out of here. I'm telling you, there's monsters out there. Yeah. Like, all that was, that's the 1800s. Yeah. I mean, they didn't, they didn't, the Western world didn't know the existence of gorillas until like the 1800s. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating when you, you, you really think of, like, where we are right now and how, how much we know about how we got here. And, you, and you, they didn't know about bonobos till the 1970s. Wow. You know, or really start studying them. I and mean, they thought they were just a subspecies of chimp. They called them pygmy chimps. Turns out they're so completely different from chimps that they they've forced us to completely reevaluate the primate origins of human beings. Yeah, it really threw a monkey wrench in the whole explanation of why we're so warring and horrible monkey and violent. Mo ah, I didn't mean to do that. I swear to God, no <laughs> pun intended. But the for folks who don't know, bonobos are like super sexual. They they solve everything with sex, and the only yeah. sex they don't have is the mother doesn't have sex with the son. Man, you did your homework. No, I've just been I'm yeah. fascinated by monkeys yeah. my whole life. Apes. Apes. Chimps, sorry. Mostly yeah. chimps, but other apes as well. Uh, but yeah, apes. I know monkey sounds cooler though. Monkeys have monkey yeah. gender, transgender. Yeah. <laughs> monkeys have tails. That's yeah. that's I mean, but you're right. Monkey balls is such a good phrase, you know. Yeah. I mean, I use it all the time even though I'm always talking about eight balls, but right. eight ball just doesn't ring. Yeah, that's why my, one of my comedy specials was talking monkeys in space. Because talking apes in space just didn't – Yeah, it's missing something. In Spanish, there's no <laughs> word for ape, actually. Really? Yeah, which makes things complicated in translating our book to Spanish. So is it just primates? Yeah. It's various primate Simians, names. Yeah. Simians. Yeah. Simian. That's, a, that's another good one. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, monkey, the monkey wrench that was thrown in, though, to get back to the bonobos was bonobos are not violent. They, right. don't, they don't kill other bonobos. Then they just fuck all the time. Franz de Waal, the, the great Dutch primatologist who's responsible for bringing bonobos to public light um, to a large extent, he said chimps use violence to get sex. Bonobos use sex to avoid violence. <laughs> and bonobos are very interesting. And as you know, so people understand, the chimps and bonobos are our two closest primate relatives by far. And in fact, they're, we're more closely related to them than they are to any other primate. So if you go to a zoo and you're looking at a you know, chimp cage, that chimp is more, shares more DNA with you than he does with a gorilla or an orangutan or anything, right? Yeah. So, in fact, Jared Diamond wrote a book called The Third Chimpanzee where he argued that humans, chimps, and bonobos are basically three subspecies of chimpanzee. We're so closely related. We're more closely related to them than an Indian elephant is to an African elephant. Right, we're like super close in terms of DNA. So they're, but they're very close to each other. So I think of it as like if I've got twin brothers, they're you know closest to each other, but after each other comes me, and I'm equally related to each of them. So the chimp, as you say, is kind of badass, kind of very male dominated, very hierarchical, 
kind of conflictive, can be really nasty, and you know, rip people's faces off in Connecticut. But the bonobo, in 50 years of observation in the wild and in captivity, no one has ever seen a bonobo kill or rape another bonobo. They don't have to rape. They just fuck. They don't do it. So yeah. If you want to not get raped, just give it up. Everywhere you look, <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, we can never live like them. I'd I just mean, like to say I do not agree with that. No, I'm just saying it, in in the animal world, that's yeah. what they do, right? I mean, that's what they they never kill well, a rape. You know, rape is very interesting when you're talking about animals. Like a lot of people say that orangutan sex is rape because mm. it's the male chases the female through the treetops and she's screaming and apparently trying to get away. And, right. Doesn't um, dolphin rape? Isn't there is yeah. uh, indication of dolphin rape? Well, yeah. dolphins are also involved in mass genocide, um, uh, infanticide rather. They, yeah. they kill baby dolphins. They kill them to get the females to breed. That's typical of of uh, a lot of mammals. Lions yeah. do that. Bears I think do wolves that. do that. When when there's an alpha male, gorillas. When there's an alpha male and he takes over. Often he'll kill the, or if there's a coalition, they'll kill the the Young babies males, to the get babies. them back, the women back into estrus. Yeah, that's brutal. Whew. In fact, that's one of the theories. Sarah Hurdy, who's written widely, she's a very well-known primatologist, anthropologist. One of um, the theories is that the reason that females are promiscuous in some primate species is to confuse paternity. Yes. So that males won't be tempted to kill babies in order to, you know, get women back into females back into estrus. And that's the current thinking on dolphins as well. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah dolphin females are known to be like the sluts of the ocean. Ah. They, they have sex with as many guys as possible. So right. the guy comes over and goes, oh, it might Not be my sure. kids. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Or they have that, that bond with that person. Right. They, what do they establish as the main reason why chimpanzees and bonobos, though, so genetically similar, are so different behaviorally? That's a really good question. The... There's no perfect theory. The, the best-known theory is that um, the chimps and bonobos were the same species, and there was a change in the Congo, the, the root of the Congo River, I think uh, about five million years ago, and that's been verified. And uh, so one population got isolated on the south side of the Congo and the other on the north, and the ones on the south became bonobos. The ones on the north became chimps, and the the idea, and this is um, Richard Wrangham at Harvard proposed this idea, is that the chimps on the north were competing with gorillas for some of the same food sources, whereas there are no gorillas south of the Congo, so the bonobos weren't competing for those food sources. So they didn't have to get gangster. Right. But the problem with that theory is that it basically dismisses the assumptions of Darwinian evolution based on Malthus, which is that any population will quickly grow to the point where the, re where the food resources are saturated, and so you get competition between individuals for whatever's there, right? He seems to be saying the population of bonobos never grew to the point where they were competing for food, therefore they never had to get competitive. 
If that's true, that's a radical statement. It happens to be a statement I agree with. I've made the same statement about early humans. I'm saying, hey, early humans were like, you know, these pythons that are introduced into the Everglades. They're like, whoa, there's no, nothing else here competing for this niche. Well, it kind of makes sense if you really think about it in terms of how we look at socialism. Because what is the number one complaint from manly men about socialism? It's going to make us soft. Mm. Bunch of fucking pussies. You're going to have a bunch of socialists out there. Yeah, that's the idea. The right. idea is to soften everybody the fuck up, to reduce the need of competition. Mm. And to a lot of people, especially people that have adopted sort of uh, – advantageous positions they look at that as like hey fucking pussies you gotta earn it you know right. socialism is the and then the idea it sort of makes sense if you look at the bonobo community right yeah they yeah. didn't have competition so everybody just chilled out and they developed a, a style of of being that's more chilled out right right and there's a great story i'll tell you a guy you should interview i think i mentioned him last time robert sapolsky yes really i tried dude. i'm trying he's in the middle of teaching though oh okay you know, so you've been in touch yeah with him. He's i'll such fly a that guy out dude. for sure oh. i i learned everything about toxoplasma which this fucking oh, the podcast is her into death <laughs> they, they got so tired of me talking about toxoplasma <laughs> do you but, do you tell the same story sometimes, sometimes yeah sometimes yeah i get tweets from people like dude love your podcast but you told that story three times like how, how do you keep track well of it's really hard when you have a guest if the guest is not aware of the information because I, I don't want to like write it down and say okay when the podcast is over i got to tell you about crazy oh, fucking I parasite that, right. that changes right. the way you behave right um so sometimes if it's a new guest and they don't know about it i, yeah. I kind of I'm, I'm sort of forced to i try to yeah. give them the cliff notes version of it but I know about it. Sapolsky yeah. had an amazing video um, where he detailed and, and even went into that when he was a med student, they would find uh, cadavers, like uh, guys who died on motorcycles. And there was a disproportionate amount of them that tested positive for toxoplasma. And risk takers. Yes, risk yeah. takers. That the, the parasite literally gets you to take fucking <laughs> risks. And that there's a direct correlation between toxoplasma infestation and successful soccer teams. Wow. So, yeah. so they all have cats in the locker room? No. Well, there's two thoughts behind that. One is it could, could, could be purely um, th that it doesn't cause – it's not it's not an effect. It's just uh, – uh, you know, Correlation. Just correlation, yeah. yeah. And that it's – just you're dealing with people that live in impoverished areas. People in impoverished areas have higher incidence of feral cats. Uh, right. Higher incidences of feral cats is more likely toxoplasma. Right. That they're also more desperate and maybe more uh, invested in soccer and more you know aggressive in their approach because it means so much to them because mm -hmm. it's a way out. You know, much like impoverished people in America, sometimes you know they they make some of the greatest athletic stories. Are someone who came from nothing and right. was so never wanted to go back to that again and had so much drive. So yeah. I don't know if they can absolutely connect right. the two of them together, but it is a fascinating theory. Talking about taking risks, uh, as I've gotten older, I've developed this concept I call the the fuck it list. Did we talk about this? <laughs> no, no, no. So the you know the bucket list is stuff you want to do before you die, right? Right. But like I turned fifty one a couple of weeks ago, and I'm at this stage now where I've got a bucket list where things I used to think I wanted to do before I die, and now I'm like, yeah, fuck it. You know? <laughs> like bungee what? jumping? No, no, you know? no, no, no. Fuck no, it. No, That's fuck definitely it. on the bucket Nay. list. Yeah, I'll uh, show you a video where a guy bungee jumps and his his cord was not long enough, so he slams off the ground in agony, and then 
with his broken body. Yeah, his cord is too long, oh, rather. Fuck. With his broken body, slams off the ground again. <laughs> yeah, and it does it like several times. He's got like a oh, helmet camera no. on, and the screams oh, that he makes no. are horrific. Oh, he didn't die? No, he lived. Oh. Because it slowed him down a little bit, but I mean, it just broke him. And then spring uh, up in the air, and then smash back down again. I mean, I don't know if he lived after the video, but he's alive during the video. And it'll cure you of any ideas of bungee jumping. I hope that wasn't on Tosh.0. He probably <laughs> covered it. He's probably got it fucking <laughs> 10 minutes in his it. act about it. Exactly. <laughs> Daniel's silly. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's covered everything fucked up that's ever been released on the internet. He's over there now. with the Young Turks. He's, he's in the same building. Like oh, is he? Guys. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I did his show with uh, Doug Stanhope recently. Yeah. We went and we did this thing where there was a guy who was a lifelong virgin. And we were <laughs> trying to give him advice on how to get laid. <laughs> but, uh, that fuck it list, that's a good one for the fuck it list. Bungee fuck it jumping. List, bungee jumping yeah. What else? Skydiving? I, I could be convinced to skydive if it was with some Brian? friends. Fuck no. no. Tell him. Tell him the no. story. Oh. Uh, my dad was, this girl that my dad worked with skydived all the time. Yeah. And every, you know, she always tried to get him to do it. So finally he was going to do it. And then like the week before he was supposed to do it, uh, she jumped and her uh shoot didn't open and then the, the reserve shoot started tangling with oh, the other no. shooter and then she died so it's like my dad was supposed to do it like the following week or something all like right that. we can add that to the fucking <laughs> yeah, yeah fuck that's, it. that's all I and need. she did yeah. it she was a pro it was just you know a bad shoot i did uh para i always forget paragliding paragliding what's the difference parasailing is behind a boat yes right? yeah no i did paragliding oh. jumping off a mountain oh my god and i did this in india i, I took a, <laughs> yeah i know it was really dumb but oh. cheap it was cheap i bet it was so's your life it was in Goa, wow. and, and there's this German guy on the beach where I was staying, this hippie beach in Goa called Arambol. Where is Goa? Goa is uh, the, just below Mumbai in India. It's on the west coast of India, and it's like this legendary hippie place. Like really? Since the 60s, hippies have been going there to chill out on these amazing beaches and smoke hash and you know do yoga and shit. Huh. So I was there uh, about 10 years ago or something. And, you know, we were there for two weeks – or no, two months on this beach. Like I didn't wear shoes for two months. It was just wow. so great. And so I was looking for stuff to do and there's this German guy, Uwe, who uh, would, was teaching – you know, he'd, he'd do these classes and it was like for 10 jumps, 100 bucks or something. So I signed up and you do the first day theory and you learn – like learn some weird shit. Like there are these cloud formations that will suck you up into them. And when you're like in the cloud, you don't know what's up and what's down. And oh, no. It's like – so there are all these things you like – it's like instrument control. You have to like – even if you think you're falling upward, you have to pull the shit and fall. And it's like all this weird, horrible stuff. What is the cloud formation that sucks you up? What's that all about? I don't remember. I just remember like, you know, I will not go near those clouds. Like the know? Wizard of Oz type of situation? It was some is some particular cloud formation that that has like a really strong updraft. It's like um, you know what's it called on the beach where you get sucked out to ocean the, uh, the undertow. Tide, undertow. Right? Like you have to go against it, not uh. I mean against it di um, ninety degree angle, not try True. to get out of it. Like you don't right. swim against the undertow, you swim across the undertow. Right. right? Same thing in this case because you get sucked up, your body freezes. And then they'll find you like oh. far, far away, frozen, somewhere. solid, like Itzy the Iceman. Like yeah, Itzy the Iceman. Yeah, we didn't finish the Itzy the Iceman story. The reason why this guy didn't get smushed is because uh, he like fell into the bottom of this crevice and got covered and turned into uh, like essentially like frozen dinner. Yeah, and, and uh, a mummy, yeah. a frozen mummy. Yeah. 
some if people are like, what the fuck? You never finished that story. Do you know Brad Pitt has a tattoo of Itzy on his arm? Does he really? Yeah, he's really into Itzy. That's fascinating. Yeah. Why? I guess he's just super into Itzy. Yeah, no, maybe. Okay. We'd have to ask Brad Pitt. You've got a better chance of getting him on the phone than I do, right? I don't think he talked to me after all the shit I've talked about his perfume ads. His new movie looks badass, World War Z. Yeah, maybe. Those perfume ads fucking do it for me, though. Have you seen him? No. Might be the douchiest commercial the world <laughs> no. has ever known, next to Stephen Dorff's electronic cigarette commercial. Yes. And They're it's not like right he, there. Like, what, he needs the money? Well, you know, the only thing that I leave for him is maybe he puts that money to use in some positive way. He's very active. I in know there's a lot of, yeah. lot of stuff, both in America and abroad. So it, it could be that, you know, they were going to donate a shitload of money to something, and he did it. But it's Chanel number no. 5. It's, like, such a dorky. But it's good to bring this up anyway because I wanted to talk to you about perfume because it's fucking hilarious where it all came from. <laughs> Oh, um, oh yeah! This Cover the, the stink. But this is not. They the remade the commercial using Kim Jong Kim Jong Il. Oh no, no! Put the actual. No, no! Put the actual one, man. Put the Dreams actual take one. Over. I don't want to see this. You got to. You got to see his stupid face <laughs> while he's doing it. Uh, the, the, yeah, what's well, ridiculous? It's a, one of the most ridiculous commercials of all time. Because it's a guy who's a fucking multi-multi-millionaire that you know doesn't wear this stupid, stinky shit. And his wife has yeah. as much money as he does. Yeah, I it's, mean, and on. he's doing a Chanel number no. 5 commercial. He like, right. Somebody has videos of him sucking a million cocks or something. <laughs> That's how they did it. Something. <laughs> <laughs> or they, you know, they promised to cure AIDS. This is it. It ends, but we go on. The world turns and we turn with it. Plans disappear. Dreams take over. <laughs> but wherever I go, there you are. My luck, my fate, my fortune. Chanel number five. That's a god. That's a fucking goddamn Saturday Night Live sketch, okay? Wow. That's... That does seem like a parody <laughs> of a commercial starring. <laughs> It also seems like a parody of Tree of Life. Did you see that movie? Yes. No, I didn't. No, that's the Tom Hanks one, right? No, no. no. Which it, one is with, Tree of it's Life? It's with Brad Pitt. It's directed by the guy who did the oh, – uh, he's a very interesting director. He does like one movie every 10 years or something. I can't remember his name right now. This is but, not the Interconnected Lives. What is, what oh, is, no. That's the Atlas, the Cloud Atlas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. No, this, this is like – it is really trippy though. It's like there's all this – It'll have uh, Brad Pitt is a father with Tree a couple of kids. Uh, I'm sure most of your listeners know who I'm talking about. It's, he's a well-known director. He did a really funky movie about the Pacific Theater World Sean War Penn. II with Sean Penn in it, um, and and um, and uh, the guy from Saturday Night Fever, uh, the gay guy, bathhouses. John Travolta. John Travolta. How dare you, the gay guy. <laughs> How about the amazing dancer? How about the really talented actor from Pulp Fiction? <laughs> You're right. Like, no, cash. the gay guy that likes All to fly. You know that dude that likes hey, to suck dick and you know, soar through the air. It took you a nanosecond to know who I was talking about, though, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. If you were playing charades, I would applaud you. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So that was that seemed like a parody of that movie. There it is. Like oh, the sun funny. bursting and there's just real slow visuals and... Yeah, I don't know what the fucking motivation was, but it's pr 
preposterous. Yeah. Just completely ridiculous commercial. Yeah. But the idea behind the perfume itself is very fascinating, though. Um, I don't like it. I've never liked it. I don't. I mean, there's like a couple of like oils that girls can put on. I think that smells kind of cool. But generally, I like the way people smell when they're clean. You know? Right. And that's why perfume was invented. Right. Because people weren't fucking clean. They were dirty, stinky animals that were scared of water. Right. And that's also why spices were so valuable. During yes. those centuries of, the, you know, spice was pepper, black pepper was mm. worth more than because the food was rotting. Yeah. So they would spice the shit up so you couldn't taste how horrible it was. Did a lot of people die from like horrible digestive issues back then? Uh, well, yeah, in the medieval period, a lot of people were dying from all sorts of nastiness related to the nastiness of the food, but also the fact that they were shitting in the street and there's no sewage and everything. But what's interesting, I think this is like cutting edge medical research. Is that thing still playing in the background? music in the background there. Yeah, I've heard it since the movie was on just now. Oh. What is that? Oh, nothing. See your iPad, you fuck? (laughs) Jesus, Brian. I thought I was going crazy. (sighs) Again. Uh, Oh, cutting-edge medical research, I I think it's going to be, you're probably tuned into this because of the body hacking and all that, the the, uh, microflora of the stomach. Yes. Really interesting. Yeah. So, so in those days, people would have had really robust uh, intestinal flora to deal with all that. To deal with the amount of now, bacteria so. that you're absorbing yeah. into your system on a daily basis, which right. dogs have. That's why dogs, dogs can drink water. And people and who live sick. in India. Yes. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in I went swimming in a fucking lake in India. I don't know what I was thinking. Do you not have the Science Channel? No. Do you not have discovery? Do you not watch those things where people come back with fucking football-sized parasites growing inside their head? Dude, this was this was a long time ago, and I I was young and invincible. What I happened? Did a to you? lot of stupid shit. Uh, nothing. You got lucky. I, and I've been like healthy as shit. You know, I'm like the guy who never gets sick. Maybe that's what it is. I well, I think honestly, I when I was traveling in a lot in in you know Asia and, and Latin America and stuff, I took a lot of acidophilus mm. and raw garlic. Talk about body smells, man. Yeah. I, I ate so much raw garlic. And uh, and the, the raw garlic's good. It keeps mosquitoes away. They don't like the smell of garlic, and it comes out through your skin. Keeps women away, too, I found. Um, Not but, Italian women. Yeah. They yeah. just accept it. Italian men keep the Italian women away. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and you I... You say that, but the balls show a different story. <laughs> Are we going to put our balls yeah. on the table? The women's, the Italian balls. Oh, Italian balls. It's the balls. women's okay. fault that the okay. balls are large, yeah, right? It's, yeah. They're the direct... Well, I think it's more of a species. Yes, I mean, there is some cultural... There is evidence that Asian balls are smaller. Um, I almost started talking Spanish there. Uh, quite a bit smaller than uh, black balls and white balls are somewhere in the middle. Hmm. Being very sort of... I don't know if that's politically incorrect to say, but it's it seems to be true. And my wife has – I, t- I don't think I told you the story last time because Silda was here last yes. time. Um, a couple of years into our relationship, uh, one night we were hanging out with a friend in Barcelona smoking a joint. And, and uh, this friend, he's this funny guy, he was giving me a hard time by giving her a hard time essentially. And so he was saying you – know, Casilda, you're so innocent. You know, you were in medical school and then you were married all these years. And, you know, you hook up with Chris when you're like 40. You know, you're just starting to see the world you know, as Chris is corrupting you, right? And he said, you pre- you're so innocent. You probably think Chris has a big dick. 
And she said, well, no, I, I've inspected a thousand penises. And we were like, what? <laughs> she said, yeah, when I was doing that research for the World Health Organization in Africa, I had to inspect a thousand penises and vaginas. It, it turns out, I mean, I knew she had done this research, but I didn't know it involved actually holding actually, the cocks. You know, yeah. And so we get gloves or no gloves? Gloves. Gloves. Does and, it count then? <laughs> it sort of counts. It doesn't matter to me. I, 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 I mean, if I were going to be uptight about shit like that, believe me, I'd be in a different business. But, uh, but the funny thing was, like, he, he was like, but, you know, she, she's hot. She was 27 or something at the time. And like, what about erections? And she just laughed and she said, oh, yeah, you just flick. So Casilda's sort of like the anti-fluffer. She knows how to bring it down. There's like you flick right under the head and the erection is gone immediately. Really? Yeah. Try it when you get home. Sounds annoying. <laughs> yeah. It's just you annoy the shit out of him. But somewhere out there there's a guy that's like, it wouldn't stop me. That's what I like. I like a little flicking. <laughs> So uh, so she can prove, you know, she's like one of the rare individuals that's seen the broad spectrum of the races, and she says African. It's all... Well, she's seen a thousand African. Oh, it's penises. all African. That was all in Africa. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was all African people. Too. So it's a thousand Africans and me. Oh, yeah, that's her her pool. Oh yeah, she's yeah. Uh, not impressed. I haven't right? asked. I, I'm, don't even ask. I'm not ask. <laughs> I don't want to know the answer. I'm not going to ask. That's funny. <laughs> what a douchebag friend you have, by the way. <laughs> I would cut that guy off just the way he communicates. Yeah. Is he a dickhead? He's a strange dude, actually. He's a jazz musician who went to, grew up and went to college in Philadelphia at Temple, which is 98% black. And he's white, um, Jewish. He's like a hairy, dark-skinned Jewish guy. He's a big, tall guy. And he talks like an inner city Philadelphia black dude, and he sounds wonderful. He, he, he's, but he he's not doing it. He's not racist. Like he just mm -hmm. he grew up with these guys, and and you know you learn to like sort of communicate the way your community communicates. But it could be awkward because he would you know as much as I, he would use the N word liberally. Really? Yeah, among like a white crowd or. And with his black friends who knew him. But then it would get weird if we were at a party or something and he'd be like, yo, my, you know, my. He sounds like a fucking idiot. What are you <laughs> hanging out with this guy for? This is a long time. Making fun of you for having a regular sized dick <laughs> to your wife. What a douchebag. Uh, Dropping end bombs. Yeah, bring him to my parties. Yeah. No. Sounds like a treat. He knows. <laughs> I love white guys who talk black, too. Oh, one of my favorite things. Yeah. Can't get enough of them in my life. <laughs> That's what you really want to go to if you're really confused about the world. You need a confidant. Need someone. Yeah, you gotta go to a white guy who talks black. Yeah, but I mean, it happens. <laughs> hey, look at all these kids uh, with their their pants hanging down around their asses, and you know, showing gang signs and you know, flicker photos. And what are you doing? Showing that pants signs? hanging around your your ass means one thing: you don't know how to check leg kicks. Because I guarantee you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd done any Muay Thai at all, you wouldn't have your fucking it's pants. It's going to hamper your yeah, style. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Someone else is going to kick your legs. There's nothing you can do about it. Your buckles over your dick. You can't move your hips right. You're not going to get out of the way. You can't even walk. You can't I mean, even walk. Walking. 
Did you yeah. say look at those kids with their baggy pants and their uh, Flickr photos? <laughs> <Should I? laughs> those fancy kids with their Flickr and those, the gang signs in their Flickr photos. Oh, yeah. The gang Flickr. signs in their Flickr photos. <laughs> I don't even know a Flickr. Do they really put the gang signs online? I mean, you see these like kids from Pacific Palisades yes. doing right. shit. It's like, what are you well, that's, doing? You, you know, know there there saying. is an issue with those kids that grow up in those like really rich places where they want to overcompensate because of yeah. the fact that their parents are so not street. Right. And they get like intermixed with inner city kids. They get shipped there, and then they want yeah. to prove their worth. And I actually uh, had a friend who had a kid who went to uh, one of those Pacific Pacific Palisades or Malibu, one of those high schools. And he's like, "You'd be fucking amazed at how bad it was." They had to pull the kid out of there because it's constant drugs and violence and chaos and craziness. And they're all a massive amount of kids in those um, areas that grow up. And I, it kind of makes sense if you think about it. These people that have a fuckload of money, yeah, a lot of them also they have issues with pills, right? Or they have pills at home. Or um, there, there's a, a shallow sort of uh, materialistic vibe to the family, and uh, yeah. it gets it gets distributed to the kids, and then the kids start doing a lot of pills. It's like it was Malibu or one of those high schools. I, can't, I really wish I could remember, but they were snorting oxy's. It was like a big issue, you know. I've heard about that in Thousand Oaks too. That they they have a problem with uh, girls doing uh, like there's been quite a few girls that have gotten in trouble for doing oxycontins. You know, they're doing heroin, in, and they're doing it in high school. Yeah. And these are really wealthy neighborhoods, wealthy yeah. areas. But these people are probably never around for their fucking kids. Yeah. You know, if you've got enough money to buy a $9 million house, you work your dick off. You know, you probably are not around that much. Yeah. I don't yeah, see how you And the kids are raised be. by nannies yeah. in many cases. Yeah, especially in those dual um, career households yeah. when your your wife works her ass off as well. You're both working your ass off all day, and then you're trying to become parents at night. I mean, it's a fucking grind. Yeah. That's a hard grind. You know, if you lease a lot of poor people, they involve their families in that grind. You know, they bring in the grandmother, or, you know, they live in a neighborhood where right. there's a lot of family members nearby, and they can sort of take turns taking care of all the yeah. children together, which actually can turn out to be healthier, as yeah. long as it's not a high crime area. Well, and that, see, that relates back to prehistory. Yes. Right? You yeah. know, this whole idea. I mean, Casilda grew up in Mozambique, and she talked about, like, you know, at night, nobody worried about where you were. Your parents didn't worry about where you were. Wherever you were, or somebody, there was some adult there taking care of you, being yeah. Cool, you know, and you could eat dinner at somebody else's house and come home later or sleep there. You know, it's like whatever. It's it sounds a community. so u- utopian. Yeah. But yet not because nobody wants to live in Mozambique. You know, oh, no one here. happening, man. You say that. Oh, but it's the Brazil go of to Africa. Beverly Hills and say, hey, who wants to go to Mozambique? Yeah. They're going to go, bitch, are you crazy? We're not going to move to Mozambique. Nice beaches. And you're like, you could just let your kids go and no one needs to worry. You're like, Fuck you! What? What? You're gonna let your kids go at night in Africa? Yeah. Are you fucking crazy? Yeah. Yeah. No one's gonna believe but that's you. the truth, man. So what is it like? You said it's like the Brazil. Well, I haven't been to Mozambique. So you're talking shit. I'm talking shit. But my <laughs> wife grew up there, so I hear a lot about it. And she was just there a couple months ago, and she said, and it's like eight percent economic growth. It's Africa's booming right now because wow. the Chinese are buying up all the natural resources. They're buying up land. It's <laughs> It's happening. Wow. Yeah. And Mozambique's, uh, you know, famous for their amazing beaches and seafood. And it's it's like a pretty raw, beautiful spot on earth. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Africa's a trippy fucking place, man. The idea of leaving your kids just wandering around in Africa. Aren't there lions in Mozambique? Yeah. In fact, she had a, she had a German shepherd 
uh, who got that got eaten by a lion oh. when she was a kid. Christ. Yeah, yeah. Mountain lions are scary. Lions way scarier than mountain lions. Yeah. Nobody gets away from the lions. But you know what kills most people in Africa? Hippos. Yeah. Fucking hippos. And ants. Oh, really? Ants are a motherfucker. That's dude. not a good way to die. <laughs> There's a video I saw once of ants eating an elephant, and they were going up the elephant's leg into its ear. Oh, no. And they were essentially attacking this elephant, eating it ear first, just going right through the ear, and there wasn't a goddamn thing the elephant can do to stop it. Oh, man, that's not a good way. <laughs> in, in Alaska, you get that with mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah, I've They'll seen that on trolls. TV. Oh, it's horrible. I've never experienced it live, but I've watched those um, those Alaska sustenance shows. Those um, Have you ever seen those shows? I like, saw the, one or two, yeah, where they put these, like a reality show No, thing. no, 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 no. These are oh. actually people that live there. Uh, there, uh, there are these people that there's a bunch of different ones. There's one of them is called Yukon Men, and the other one's called Alaska Last Frontier, and and they're essentially these people that live in these very small hunting communities, yeah. hunting fishing communities, yeah. and they make no income other than furs that they occasionally get, right. and they have three months of summer where they're all just frantically trying to gather up resources, and then they lock down for seven, eight, nine months, right. and it's crazy to watch. Yeah. And these uh, people in the summertime, they're dealing with fucking swarms of mosquitoes, like aggressive, desperate mosquitoes. And that they're like know. an yeah. inch across. And they know they only have a couple months. Yeah. So they just go for it. <laughs> yeah. I remember, you know, when the dusk, when the mosquitoes come out and you can see a swarm coming oh. at you and you're setting up your tent, you know, and like I remember setting up my tent and like every second moving my shirt so they couldn't like get in through the shirt you know i had to keep moving the shirt while i'm setting up the tent and then you get in there and you can hear it's like hail banging against the side of the tent you can hear them banging on the tent oh my god yeah they're they're little helicopters what the fuck did people do before they figured out tents uh well the eskimos i believe that they um smeared fat on their skin that would certain kinds of fat would keep the mosquitoes off them and they've got all sorts of really clever adaptations, you know. You know, we we sort of assume that we would be helpless, but that's because we didn't grow up there and our culture didn't, you know. Right. So, and there's, you know, who Wade Davis is. They, no, uh, he's a he's an anthropologist. He's written a bunch of books. Really interesting guy. He's um, like anthropologist in residence at the Smithsonian in Washington. He wrote a book called The Wayfarers, I think was his last book, about traditional, like about how these guys could navigate across the Pacific just looking at the stars and the color of the water and smelling and, you know, whatever. they. Anyway, he uh, one of the stories he tells is about this uh, Eskimo guy, old guy, and the family sort of took the keys to the car away from him. Like, you can't go anymore. They were afraid he would go out and die the traditional way when Eskimo people got old, they would just like wander off into the ice and die so as not to be a burden to the family, right? And he was a traditional guy and they were worried that he would take the, the snow machine out and just die out there somewhere or hurt himself hunting or whatever. So <laughs> they had this whole intervention. And so that night he goes out, gets out of the house, takes a shit in his hand, forms the shit into a knife blade spits on it and the spit uh is freezing along the edge and he hones that down so he gets a nice sharp edge with his spit 
takes his shit knife, kills a dog or a couple of dogs and takes their uh, ribs and makes a, a sled out of it. And with the sinews and whatever other pieces of the dogs, you know, he knew all this stuff from his childhood, hooks up a couple other dogs to the sled and he takes off into the, into the snow on his, you know, sled with his shit knife. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That might be the most insane story I've ever heard. And they're so clever. You know how they kill polar bears? I know they take blood and put it on a blade. I know that method. Oh, that was actually yeah. wolves. They wolves. did that with oh, wolves. And they, oh. The b wolves would lick the the blade and oh. they would uh, they would cut themselves to death. Yeah, similar kind of thing. What they would do is they take a, a little. They'd make a wooden box, and they would uh, take a seal uh, rib and sharpen the two ends of the seal rib, and they're pretty flexible. So they'd bend it and stick it into the box, right? And then they'd pour melted fat into the box and let it solidify, freeze. And then they knock it out. So you've got a fat cube with this flexed, two-bladed thing inside it. And they'd leave that in the snow. The polar bear come along, swallow it, and it opens in the polar bear. Wow. And then they just follow the blood drops. And it would kill them? Yeah, because internal take? hemorrhaging. How long would it take to kill them? I don't know. I don't know. I just remember that. I mean, there's wow. stories like that all over the world. You know the Indian monkey trap. The East Indian monkey trap. No. I don't know how interested your readers or your listeners yeah, yeah, are in yeah, this yeah, stuff. Yeah. Well, that, that system is, and this is a good metaphor too. I always remember this one. They would take a, same thing, take a box with a hole about, you know, uh, a little smaller than a fist in the, in the, the box. And then they put a mango in the box and then hammer it shut and tie it to a tree. So the mango starts rotting. The monkey smells it. Monkey comes along, can stick his hand in and feel the mango, but he can't get his hand out as long as he's holding on to the mango. And they won't let go of the mango. All they have to do is let go and they can leave, but they've got the mango in their hands and they won't let go. And so the guy comes around to check the traps. There's the monkey standing there with his hand in the box, hit it on the head. You got your monkey. Whoa. There's a little something about greed there. <laughs> That's an awesome story. <laughs> that is a perfect metaphor, too. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Wow. Let, let go of the mango. That's my advice. Yeah, that's a good... That should be a t-shirt. <laughs> Not a bumper sticker, you fucks. Bumper sticker, bad. Yeah. T-shirt, good. Yeah. Shit knife is a better bumper sticker. Yeah, that shit knife is a crazy yeah. fucking story. And a guy knife. killed a dog with a frozen piece of shit. <laughs> How stupid was that dog? <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, what are you doing? Was he sleeping there when this guy came up? I'm like, man, you got shit in your hand? What the fuck are you doing? The dogs love shit. Weren't you um, at Esalen, weren't you going to talk people into shitting in their hand or something like that? <laughs> Wasn't that one of your... Um... <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Did I talk to you about that? Um, no, no. Um, I, I believe you talked to Duncan oh, about Oh, okay. All right. Is yeah, you were... Duncan's feet? We were talking about... Um, about wiping you know wiping yourself about how how weird it is that we sort of like right. smudge tissue over our assholes after we shit and then in other countries that we consider these people to be savage yeah. they wash their hand you know yeah. and they wash their ass with their hand in water and we're like that is fucking crazy yeah exactly and it's the reason why your left hand is the inappropriate hand to shake hands with in or a lot of foreign with. countries or to eat in arab and, and yeah, yeah. yeah and that they they always clean with their left hand yeah the uh, the shit experiment did you actually make people do that i didn't no no what happened i, I pussied out to fucking ted again did ted get involved those bitches <laughs> no balls no shit 
Oh, you're out of here, pal. <laughs> Do you want in the cult? Yes or no? <laughs> they just took down a couple more videos recently. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Of whose? I forget. Uh, here, I'll find it. Yeah, but I think they. Do. But didn't they like, put the Hancock and Sheldrake ones back up yes. on a different part of the site well, or I don't something? think they ever took them down totally. They took uh-huh. them off of one part, and they put it on another part, and they put it up with a disclaimer because they felt like that there was poor science, that there was bad science. Yeah, pseudoscience. Yeah. yeah. Which, if... If the scientists uh, can prove, it, it makes sense. But I think that if you, you're going to invite someone to talk and you're going to say that they have pseudoscience, I said at the very least you should al- allow them uh, to, to have a, an appropriate response or allow them to uh, debate. You know, debate yeah. them on the merits of this science. Exactly. Because I, I don't know who's right or who's wrong. Well, the anonymous scientific panel mm-hmm. that they use, that's that's what I think is bullshit. Because yeah. they've got a lot of mainstream people who are going to say, you know, whatever, ayahuasca is bullshit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let let Sheldrake deb- debate that. Or, or in that case, it was Hancock. I think he was talking about ayahuasca. You yeah. know, or get uh, Andrew Weil, who's a, an expert in this, or uh, Wade Davis, actually. Wade Davis and Andrew Weil were both graduate students of um, Richard Evan Schultes, who was probably the most important uh, bio- uh, sorry, botanist of the 20th century. He's the one who discovered the plants behind uh, and named the, the plants behind ayahuasca. And lo- he did his graduate work on peyote. He he never he was a very sort of straight guy himself. He never took any of this stuff, but he discovered dozens of psychoactive plants in the Amazon. He was down there like twenty years. Um, that sounds that's all great. I mean, that's uh, absolutely great for expanding uh, people's knowledge on the subject. But in in their particular situation, what was kind of disturbing was that on the website of TED, the accusations that they had or the reasons that they had for censoring Hancock's work. He asked them specifically, cite where I said this, cite where I imply this. This is not what right, I said. Right. So he was saying that they sort of made this justification that didn't sort of jive with his talk. Now, Rupert Sheldrake, who I think is a bit more controversial in his his statements, right. what what Hancock is trying to say is that ayahuasca has had this profound effect on humanity. And it's based on his own actual personal experiences taking it, the experiences of other people that have taken it, the the idea being that this indigenous population was not the only peoples that have discovered psychedelic plants, but then in fact, there's cave art that details people in altered states of consciousness, also details what they believe to be certain psychedelic substances, and that it's most likely responsible for a lot of art. Um, And I think that's a pretty reasonable thing to say. And if you don't think it's reasonable, the only thing I could say is I doubt you've had any psychedelic experiences because psychedelic experiences would be incredibly profound to mod- to primitive man. Yeah. And to state any less seems to me that you're, you're not being honest. You're ignorant. You're either ignorant of to the effects of these things, or you're not being honest about the effects of these things. Cause you're worried about the perception that m- mainstream uh, academia, that yeah. most people in the media, right. when you start talking about mushrooms, they think you're a silly person. You're a fool. There it is again, right? Yeah. That's the institution determining the information that's allowed to flow through that institution. Yes. Yeah, I, I interviewed um, Charles Grobe a couple weeks ago, who's at UCLA. He's a psychiatrist at UCLA who uses uh, psilocybin, and I think he's also used MDMA in psychotherapy with people who have end-stage cancer oh, yes. to help them 
and it's been very effective in helping them deal with the fear of death the yes. anxiety, because of the sort of transcendent transcendent experience that often accompanies these substances they feel a sense of union with the universe they they lose a lot of that you know i'm just my body feeling yes. which helps them deal with death so transfer that to what you're saying about um you know, hunter gatherer people or pre-agricultural people around the world or post-agricultural people soma in india and and a lot of uh, the the ulysses uh, no the elysian fields in ancient greeks a lot of these rituals were apparently based on um amanita muscaria which is a highly um, hallucinogenic. It's the the red mushroom with the white spots Santa in Claus. Alice in Wonderland, and yeah, Santa, Santa the Claus. Santa Claus connection. Yeah, is very famous. Exactly. Um, the Amanita muscaria is soma. Has that been proven? Is that no? Is... That's it's a theory that was proposed by Gordon Wasson, who um, and this is all stuff you can like mine. Stanley mm. on Saturday, he yes. like Stanley met. Um, uh, the woman, the shaman in Mexico who brought mushrooms into the Western world, um, Maria, Sabina Maria, I think is her name. Um, anyway, the the point I was making is that, you know, here's this guy using this stuff to alleviate the fear of death mm -hmm. with dramatic results. And yet, as you say, it's still considered fringe. Although, relating back to our earlier conversation about institutions being in the state of crisis, because people sort of recognize the the false values in mm -hmm. these institutions, the government's finally allowing research in this stuff. Yeah, yeah, know? really, and, and it's uh, pretty radical findings. Uh, the John Hopkins uh, study on psilocybin and behavioral yeah. change, right. and how it just one trip affected people's behavior and personalities positively exactly. twenty years later. And and what Hancock was talking about was specifically the effect of some hallucinogens on addiction. Yes, and he and, was using his own personal addiction right. to cannabis. He had a, yeah, a lifelong exactly. history of abuse, as he called it, with yeah. uh, with cannabis. And which, he did say, and sorry to interrupt you, but no, just the last point on that. I, I didn't listen to Sheldrake's thing, but I did listen to Hancock's. And he framed the whole thing in, I think, very uh, scientific terms. He said, this may yes. have caused this leap forward in consciousness. This may have been responsible for this and that. It's absolutely a fascinating yes. possibility to consider. And the only people, in my opinion, that would not consider it are, again, people that have had no experiences with it or people that were worried about the mainstream academic approval. And so they step back and go, oh, this is preposterous. Right. You know, uh, no, this is not. It's an incredibly powerful experience. It cannot be denied. And, and yet, for whatever reason, we've lumped it into silliness. And I, I really... I struggle or criminality. with or criminality. Yes, even yeah. more scary than silliness. Yeah, um, I've really it's really boggled my mind. And the only thing that makes sense is that it's ignorance. It's the the illegality of it, which was um, hoisted onto the American people in the 1970s when they were just trying to like control this mass change in culture that had happened so radically between the 50s and the 60s. And we, we lost a lot of information in that. And we also got a lot of people that were scared, scared about going to jail, scared about losing their jobs. And that all that fear and ignorance clouds the actual argument. It clouds the actual yeah. the facts that surround these weird substances. And they sh they're not the cure-all. They're not, no. they're not, they're not for everybody, right. but what they are is incredibly powerful experiences. I, yeah. I don't think that can be denied and to deny the impact of one of the most amazing 
transcendental experiences that a human being can ever possibly experience and the fact that it's an orally active thing that it that grows all over the place where these people absolutely lived to deny the connection seems like really silly it right. doesn't it seems like you're you're being a fool and you're you're ignoring information and people all over the world who have access to these plants wherever you find them consider them to be the greatest gift of the gods yes and then you've got our culture that says if you get caught with, what, an ounce of psilocybin mushrooms or 100 hits of acid at a Grateful Dead show, you go to prison under minimum mandatory sentencing for longer than second-degree murder. Yeah. What the fuck is that? That's co complete pure insanity. Um, that, that's insanity. But what's even more insanity is to me that people in uh, positions of, of prominence academically who will talk on these subjects have not had this experience. Right. And I'm like, my God, your children. And it, it sounds so arrogant to say that. Yeah. But someone who's like talking about the negative effects of psychedelic drugs that hasn't had psychedelic drugs will feel like a child after he has a mushroom chip. Yeah. He will feel like a fool. You will feel like you are the dumbest person in the world to have ignored that and poo-pooed yeah. that. Take six grams of mushrooms, get in an isolation tank, and tell me you don't have some regrets for how you looked at that shit before. Right. They're not having it. And, it's, and these, these are the same people that are pulling these things down. I guarantee you the people that have had profound mushroom trips are not interested in, in, in silencing this Graham Hancock uh, right. war on consciousness, which originally was called beating, I think, something about the green bitch. He originally defeating the green bitch, which was his oh, addiction marijuana. to cannabis yeah. and how the, the, the ayahuasca helped him see who right. he was, his, uh, you know, his uh, abusive relationship. It's, he's a really fascinating guy because he's not down on marijuana at all. He right. sort of attributes it to his own abuse of it and right. like using it as a crutch instead of using it to enhance. You know, so he had whatever addictive issues he had. That's how they. I mean, that and that is a real issue with addiction, right? It's like it's not necessarily the substance and the biological triggers. Yeah. It's what's going on with you that makes you obsessed with scratch tickets? Who's the guy? Um, the the British actor, skinny comedian, really funny guy, sleeping with Russell all the Brand. Women. Russell Brand, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> we should play. This is what happens <laughs> yeah, when you get old, good, man. man. I can't remember the gay anything. guy with you're, the fucking plane. You be my brain. I'll just stick in the air. But... Massage guy <laughs> he likes massages. <laughs> Russell Brand wrote a, a thing recently about addiction, and he said something I thought was really wise. He said, "Drugs weren't my problem. Drugs were my answer to my problem." Ah. And it's it's exactly what you just said, and I agree completely. Drugs aren't causing the addiction. Right. You've got an addiction. Right. It can manifest, at, you know, in marijuana, in gambling, in jerking off, and you know, a million different ways. And if you locate the problem in the substance, then you'll never solve the problem because that's the, just a symptom. But there is a physiological issue that goes along with that sure. as well. So because there's two types of situations. There's the gambling situation where you're sort of getting addicted to the response. But then there's a real like like an Oxycontin thing. Like I have a mm. friend who had a back operation. And then after oh, his yeah. back operation, they threw him on some Oxys. And right. he was fucked up right. for a long time. He started getting prescriptions from more than one different doctor. Yeah. And he was a mess. Yeah. And he just went, just went into this crazy spiral. And it was absolutely a physiological addiction. Yeah. Because before that, he really didn't exhibit crazy addictive or impulsive behaviors. And they were manifested itself with these But pills. his situation changed with yes. that pain. And and the gambler is also getting a chemical uh, 
high. Yes. You know, yeah. the brain is releasing endorphins mm-hmm. or whatever it is in, in that case. So, there, you know, you could argue they're both physiological on yes. some level. But, yeah, the point is that there's some – in his case, it was chronic pain. Right. You know? In another case, it could be PTSD. It could be, you know, fucked up childhood. It could be whatever. That is a funny way to look at it that I never think I, – I, I don't think I ever looked at it that way before, that it is still a chemical addiction. It's just sort of an endogenous one. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I never yeah. thought about it that way. I always knocked it off to a behavioral thing. Yeah, I mean orgasm. Yeah, you know, those people jerk off in front of the computer all day. They're get, there's some. We're talking to you. Yeah, that's you. Man. That's you, you motherfucker. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's well. That's also sort of a, just a, it becomes like impulsive. Like it, well, there's not even a reward. Sometimes it just, yeah. you just sort of repeat a pattern. Like you're stuck. Like you got to scratch. Well, it hurts record. when you stop. Right, yeah. and that's what addiction is. Right, it hurts when you stop. You were talking earlier. We, we were talking about primitive, so-called primitive societies and stuff. You reminded me of this amazing story I read recently, where this uh, BBC team went into Papua New Guinea, way back some river, and um, they were doing a special on these very so-called primitive people back there. You know, no internet, no nothing. And one of the guys. Uh, after they'd finished filming, one of the guys said, well, you've, we've shown you our world. Why don't you bring me to your world? I'd like to see your world. So when he was back in London, he talked to some people, and they said, well, okay, we'll fund it. That would be an interesting thing, bring these guys into London you know, and do this whole thing sort of in reverse. It's like right? a sitcom. What's that? It's a sitcom. Yeah, exactly. Reality Take show. these dudes from the Everything's jungle. Everything's a fucking reality show. Stick them in London. Yeah. So they, uh, It's Jersey Shore for the UK. <laughs> So, so this guy, his concern was that once this guy saw the modern world, he would never want to go home. Wow. So he called up an anthropologist and he said, "Look, I'm really worried about this. I'd like to do this, but I'm." And the anthropologist said, "You arrogant asshole! You really think this guy is going to be so impressed by London that he'd never want to go back to his friends and family and you know his whole world and all that? Just calm down. That's not going to happen, right? Trust me." So they fly this guy, a few guys up to London. They take them all around, show them, you know, whatever, all these different things. And one of the things they really wanted to see was um, something like a, uh, an archery range. So they took them to this archery range, and they were so fascinated by the arrows that had feathers on the arrows. Oh, the because, fletchings. Yeah, their feathers didn't have arrows. In, in oh, their the arrows house. didn't have feathers. Or, sorry, their, yeah. their arrows didn't have feathers. So anyway, at the end of this whole experience of being in London, the only thing they wanted to take back – was this knowledge of how you put the the feathers on the air? They weren't interested in. You iPhones. know what the moral to that story is? What's that? London ain't Tahiti. <laughs> That's the moral to that story. <laughs> that is the moral. If, yeah, if they landed in Tahiti, far from Tahiti, the anthropologists would be like, "Yeah, they're not going on." <laughs> exactly. Okay, London. Don't even everybody's try to get them on a ship. Drunk, man. white like paper, <laughs> eating fish and chips. They're gonna want to get the fuck out of there as quickly as they got yeah. there. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> New yeah. Guinea's a trip, man, because um, New Guinea has those semen warriors. Yeah. That's uh, one of the weirdest. I mean, I was going to bring that up earlier when we were talking about um, these patterns that sort of d- develop in these tribal societies. One of the most bizarre ones is these they, – they take young boys away from their mother when they're like six or seven, and they live with men – that are the like anal father and anal son, like that's how they, they 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 call it. And the man just fucks these kids, 
and they, they believe that the kid has to swallow and ingest semen into his body in order for him to grow up strong and be a man. Right. And that they only use women for, for procreation. Right. And that this entire culture of thousands of people is wrapped around little kids sucking guys' dicks to grow old, to, to grow strong. Right. It's fucking that – is, that is one of the craziest ones I've ever written – or read, rather, uh, that – yeah, that, that yeah. somehow or another they convinced thousands of people <laughs> into that one. I mean, what, yeah. what's the origins of that? Oh, who knows? You know, the, no one there's knows. No way to know. But you find stuff like that. One all bad over the motherfucker world. just likes getting just, his dick just, sucked. Yeah, just turns like into one, a... one pope can just ruin a whole damn religion. You know? <laughs> Maybe they were missionaries because you know that happened in in the Amazon. There's a case of um, Lizot was his name. He's a French missionary. He was the or an anthropologist. He wasn't a missionary. He was an anthropologist who uh, studied under uh, the great French uh, Levi Strauss. And he went to the Yanomami people in Venezuela. And he was fucking all the boys and doing all this crazy shit and telling them that this was the way it worked in the world. And, you know, he's still there, I think. He's still alive. This is part no. of the whole Napoleon Chagnon situation. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No. Yeah, it's very controversial stuff uh, that happened. Uh, Chagnon is – he wrote The Fierce People, which is the best-selling anthropology book of all time. And uh, he was like a Hemingway kind of guy. And he just published a book recently talking about trying to redeem his reputation because it turns out like what he did was he, he went to the Amazon in the late 60s uh, or the Orinoco really, which is a tributary of the Amazon in Venezuela. And he was studying the Yanomami people. And uh, he wrote a, a thesis and uh, calling them the fierce people, saying that they, they killed each other at such high rates. And this justifies this Hobbesian view of the origins of human violence that were really nasty. And so we need these you know governments and religions to keep us in check. And you know, it's very political, right? But he mm. was just saying it's anthropology. But it resonated with the culture Vietnam was happening and there's all this uh, you know discussion of what why are we violent is it our nature or is it institutional you know the whole hippies versus the institution debate so anyway he wrote this book and it was a huge bestseller and he became super famous turns out that when he went into this area he brought lots of machetes and these people didn't have lots of machetes. They didn't have metal tools at all. So he brings in the machetes and he starts giving the machetes to certain groups in exchange for their cooperation. And his research was on uh, genealogy. So he needed to get the names of ancestors. But it turns out that the Yanomami, it's a great taboo to ever say the name of a dead person. So what he would do was say, okay, I'll give you this machete if you tell me the names of the father and grandfather of that guy from that other village. So he would bribe them to get this wow. information. But that's a great taboo to say the names of that guy's father or grandfather, right? So then he would go to the other village, and as a way to confirm whether the information was correct, he would say, so-and-so over there said, your father and grandfather were blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And if they got really pissed off, he knew it was correct. So that would confirm his information. Then they would break – they would have all these wars. And they'd kill each other with these machetes. And then he reported back saying, oh, the Yanomami are very fierce, destructive, you know, warlike people. And this is the origins of humanity and yada, yada, yada. 
fucking bullshit, man. Wow. Complete bullshit. That's amazing. Yeah. So there's a book called Darkness in El Dorado that came out a few years ago. It was a big bestseller and exposed a lot of this stuff. And it also went further and accused him of genocide, him and this other guy, Neil, for it accused them of using a vaccination program as a way to sort of test immune responses. And Ugh. that appears to be false. <clears throat> that appears not oh, to have okay. been true. Right. But the other stuff with the machetes and sowing violence and all that and then reporting that they're and the molestation from the other guy. That's, that's the other guy. Well. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. What as a well. fucking group of victimized people trying to just yeah. get along and these white people come along and fuck everything up again. Yeah. Yeah, and they even I, – I write about them in sex – this situation in Sex at Dawn, and they even – the Yanomami have a special word called – I think it's anthro, which means like a, a crazy, destructive white person. You know, wow. like, So he's not even allowed ever to go back to Venezuela. He's barred from the country. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I was talking about that. I don't remember what tangent. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, a, it's a, Well, it's just the distortion of, you know, the our, our image of these people and how these crazy cultures can erupt. And yeah. that might have been missionaries that caused these guys to blow all these kids. Yeah. I mean, and by the time – oh, that's what have it was. The, kids the, blow yeah. them, rather. I mean, you see these interesting sexual practices all over the world. Mm -hmm. And so they, a lot of stuff's, you know, that one, I was talking about that one last night at a cocktail party in Venice, actually. I was talking with this gay guy, and we were talking about how, you know, we think we know what it means to be gay. But you look at a culture like that, and you say, well, are they gay? I don't th They consider it to be normal sexual development, conventional. You know, that's what you do. Or the Maasai. The Maasai, you know, the herbs, herdsmen who drink blood and milk in Kenya. They have a similar sort of thing where the young younger boys go out on these long, um, you know, when they're out with the herds for weeks or months at a time, they go out with the older boys. And the older boys will have sex with them. Not anal sex, but they'll, um, they'll put their penis between the thighs of the younger boy. That was how the Romans did it as well. Right. Yeah. There's a name for that. I can't remember the word, a specific word for that. Either way, it's still gay. Let them know. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. They would say it's not because then they get older. They marry a woman. They have kids. That's just normal growing up. Normal fuckery. Yeah. Um, now, I think once you know what kind of a damaging effect that has on the young boys. But it doesn't. That's the thing. If it's considered normal, it doesn't. Mm, Don't knock it until you thigh it. Oh, how dare you. Oh. How dare you. Oh. He was so proud of himself right yeah, there. Yeah, he was saving that one up. <laughs> hanging out with Hinchcliffe too long. The, um, the, the idea, though, that it's not going to have an effect is only based on the fact that they're going to do it to more young boys and they're not going to complain. And that's a, one of the weird things about sexual abuse yeah. is that it sort of re-manifests it re itself in the, the victim. And they, they yeah. sort of start to become uh, – they become – the the accuser i mean they they also become the perpetrator they in fact that that uh, a guy i was speaking to recently uh who identifies as gay he said to me i don't think i was born gay i think i'm gay because i was sexually abused as a child by my stepfather from the time i was 3 <sighs> and we got into this whole discussion of how um it's there's a term uh, erotic plasticity and how different it is mm. for men and women in men and males of other mammals, there seems to be a developmental window where we imprint something. And that window closes, and if you got an imprint, that sticks with you for life, which is why virtually all fetishists are men. 
right? There are a lot of men who will say, well, I can't get off unless, you know, there's latex or she's wearing red high-heeled shoes or she's got this or that, right? Right, right. You know, women don't say that. Like women, you know, they're much more flexible and they adapt to the situation. So the idea is that if during that window you're imprinted with male-male sex and pleasure involved with that, then you could – sort of like have that as a fetish even though you were born you know your sort of genetic components or your brain development or whatever their different theories is heterosexual so they're different according to this idea there are different ways to be gay you could be born gay or you could be you could be gay as a fetish in a way you know Mm. but anyway related to what you're saying about the trauma there's research showing that what really causes the trauma is the shame generated by the culture that boys who are what we would call sexually abused or girls who are sexually abused at a young age, uh, if there's not pain involved, right, if it's inappropriate touching or whatever, um, the trauma comes about when they're told that was really bad and they're, they're told that that's a horrible thing that happened. It doesn't necessarily come about from the experience itself. And I don't mean this as to justify anything or give well, anyone what, what, cover. Aren't there a variety of different types of experiences? Sure. I mean, are these consensual and just innocent or are right. these actual hold you down rape? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. If uh, Physical pain is a whole different thing. Okay. If it's just play, you know, two little kids diddling each other. Right. You know, some mothers would say that's abuse. That's a horrible, oh, my God, what happened? The best thing to do is just say, hey, nothing happened. You know, it's no big deal. Right. Um, and there are psychological studies showing that the the lasting effects are negligible unless it's framed as, oh, my God, what happened? You that know? completely makes sense, yeah. as does the uh, framing thing. The framing thing completely makes sense as well, that there's like something happens in their life and they just get imprinted. And that yeah. that's uh, – I mean otherwise, why would so many abuse victims become abusers themselves? You would think yeah. that like – you would the last thing you would do is right. to repeat that. Like, right. Oh my God, that's the thing that fucked you up and ruined you. You would say like, man, I would never want to do this to another person. Right. And that would be how we would evolve. So it seems like there's like a hitch in the developmental process yeah. that allows weird things just to be accepted and become the standard. Right. They become eroticized and associated with pleasure. And so you try to relive them later. There's a great experiment wow. with... Um, it happened in Scotland, I think, where they took uh, – one year they had like a herd of goats and a herd of sheep. And so they took all the babies, all the baby goats, and they put them with the sheep. And they took all the baby sheep and put them with the goats. So they were raised thinking they were the other species, right? Wow. So all the goats grew up around the sheep thinking I'm just a weird-looking sheep, right, and, the, and vice versa. So they waited till they got sexually mature and started ha- you know, having sex, and then they switched them back. And what happened was that the males refused to have sex with their own species because they had learned that, no, no, like the male goats had learned, like, I fuck sheep. Uh, And the male sheep, no, no, I fuck goats. The females were like, yeah, whatever. You know, they just sort of like went with it. But the males refused. They were stuck with it because they were imprinted. And that was it. That is fascinating. Yeah. What the fuck evolutionary purpose does that play? Who knows? That's a good question. I don't know, but it's it's a common mistake, I would say, in and I'm not saying just among people reading books for the first time, but among 
experts. There's a mistake of thinking that everything has an evolutionary function. Mm, I say, like sometimes it could just be uh, the, the the tide went that way, and, and that's what happened. Right. And there's a, there's something Stephen Jay Gould, the great evolutionary theorist, called spandrels, which are things that look like they have a function, but they're actually sort of a side effect of something else. Mm. You know, like the chin. You know, why did the chin evolve the way it did? Well, we have a word for this thing we call the chin, but it's not actually a thing. It's where the two jawbones fuse. So it's it does you know it exists as a linguistic concept, but not necessarily as a biological concept. Mm. So they're they're weird, you know, they're murky waters you can get lost in when you're looking at evolutionary stuff. And you always, I advise people you always if you say what's the evolutionary function of that be clear on what that is and that it actually would necessarily have an evolutionary function, you know? I've always been fascinated by why at the same time all over the world, people who are human beings or who can breed with each other but have such incredibly varied ways of behaving yeah. and and that this has always been this way. I'm, I'm really into this um, Dan Carlin uh, podcast recently. He's got this podcast called Hardcore History and uh, he does this really detailed history of the Mongols over like five yeah. five episodes. And it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. It's just fucking craziness. The way these people just took over Europe and just conquered and just the, the madness and the, 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 how they were so different from anyone that existed at that time. And that they were so extreme and intense. Yeah. But at the same time, they lived... Somewhere in the Amazon, there are a bunch of people doing ayahuasca and right. eating fish and, you know, and polyamorous people. Yeah. And it's amazing that this all took place all along you know, in the, during the same time. Did you ever read The Travels of Marco Polo? No. You know the story? Yes. Yeah. I think it's like 1400s or something like that or 1300s. And he went to he, – he was with the Mongols. Wow. And he walked all across Asia on the what they call the spice route with his uncles. And, uh, yeah, he was with, uh, I don't know if it was Genghis Khan or Kublai Khan or which, which of the Mongol kings it was. And along the way, talking about interesting people, he stayed with the Mosuo people of southwestern China who still exist and uh, apparently still have this very interesting marital – well, not even marital, uh, sexual uh, behavior where – both men and women are completely autonomous, sexual beings. You have sex with whomever you want. There's no slut shaming. There's no shame involved with multiple partners, whatever. You do what you want. When a girl becomes sexually mature, she gets her own room called her flower room that has a door that opens into the central courtyard of her mother's house where she lives and also has a door that opens into the street. And so that girl from you know, 13, 14, whatever, sexual maturity – she can let anyone she wants come in and spend the night in her room with her. The only rule is he can't be there for breakfast, right? So no, no, nobody's invited for breakfast. Get, get out by sunrise. Huh. But she can sleep with whoever she wants. Then what happens when she gets pregnant is that the child is cared for by her brothers and her sisters. So as a man, your paternal responsibility is to your sister's kids, not to your biological child. In fact, biological fatherhood is is, is a non-issue in a society. That's amazing. Yeah, really interesting society. It's it's the and, and um, Marco Polo stayed with them. 
and he wrote about them. And he thought, typical Italian, right? He thought that like he was screwing these women behind the men's backs, and you know, play. <laughs> Marco Polo was getting some. <laughs> he was getting some. He just so, thought he was slick. He thought he was a cool guy, but it turns out the women were just like, "Yo, foreigners." <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. It's it, it is amazing when you think about the variables. It's amazing when you think about the variety of different cultures that evolve simultaneously mm. all over the world and how I mean, is it their environment that causes that or is it this is it missionaries move in and give them machetes and talk about their yeah. ancestors. I mean the 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 various the various things that happen are yeah. so um and I know I confused those two stories, the missionary and the researcher. But, no, but it's all but, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and smallpox comes yeah. in. And, oh yeah, yeah and, and, well, then, and then you got the ice ages, and you know, all, yeah. But I, I, I tend to be a materialist. There's um, a book called Cultural Materialism by Marvin Harris, which is a great book, and he wrote a more popular book called Cannibals and Kings, which covers some of the same stuff. And he, like, he looked at things like why are some societies cannibals and others aren't. Right. So you've got the, you know, the clash of European societies and the Aztecs and the Mayan and all that. And so, you know, you can't say the Europeans weren't bloodthirsty, you know, crazy killers. They just didn't eat what they killed, the people they killed, whereas the Aztecs were killing the people that are eating the people they killed. Why is that? Or why on some South Pacific islands were the people cannibalistic and others they weren't, right? So what he did was he did a, a materialistic analysis. And what he found was that Without exception, in the societies that were cannibalistic, there was no other source of protein that didn't compete with humans for the same food. So, like, you, they didn't have pigs, right? Pigs will eat stuff humans can't eat, right? So you can raise pigs without feeding them your own food. But dogs, you feed them stuff you would eat because dogs eat meat, right? Mm -hmm. So... In Mexico, there was nothing that they could raise, no, no, no animal that could be domesticated that they could raise for meat. And so that's why they ate the dead people, because they were protein-starved. Wow. Right. And then he applied that same thing to the different islands in the South Pacific, and he found the same thing. And American Indians, Native Americans in the harshest climates were the ones that were tending towards cannibalism, like towards the Great Lakes, like mm -hmm. the, uh, the Native American people from the Great Lakes area. Yeah. Those are the ones that uh, there's the stories of them cannibalizing people. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And you also have Harsh to look environments. at uh, Yeah. In the midwinter. Yeah, yeah. Sure. But also in, in that kind of thing, you want to look at ritualistic yes. cannibalism mm -hmm. versus like, okay, dinner time, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. they, they had some interesting torture ceremonies as well in those Canadian Great Lakes, Iroquois kind of, it was an honor to be tortured to death. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. The uh, Steve Ranella guy that I was telling you about his book Meat Eater, um, I, he told me some crazy stories about the the people that lived like off the Missouri the Missouri River, like yeah. in Montana, and you know the, the trappers and all these yeah. different people that have like these conflicts with the Indians and how they would kill them. And there was a lot of cannibalism going on, yeah. a lot more than I, I would have ever imagined. It's because that's not really something that gets brought up in high school history, or you know they don't they don't really. <laughs> Tell you, oh, by the way, Indians yeah. occasionally used to eat people. Yeah, as did the settlers. I'm yeah. sure. You know, the the Donner Party. North America itself is one of the most spectacular examples of how quickly things can change. Yeah, you're right. If you stop and think about North America just a thousand years ago, just 
1,000. Anywhere in Europe, 1,000 is like, there's still people, man. There's still nuttiness. There's uh, still... I've hung out in bars that were more than 1,000 years old. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. What is the oldest bar in, um, in like, London? Isn't there, like, a bar that's from, like, the fucking... Yeah. I don't know. Barcelona, I know, I could take you to them. Uh, How old several is it? Of them. Well, the oldest continually open bar is from the 1700s. <laughs> it's uh, Amiral, Bar Amiral. I've been there many times. Um, but the place I'm thinking of when when I've said the thousand years old, it's a bar uh, down in the Gotico section of Barcelona where one wall of the bar is a Roman wall from the Whoa. original Roman building that was there. Holy so you're like leaning up against the Roman wall drinking your beer. It's really cool. Holy shit. Yeah. Not America. And that's 2,000 years old. You know? 1,000 years ago, no Manhattan, no Los Angeles, no Chicago. No Atlanta. Just stop and think of that alone. Just yeah. what radical changes to the landscape we've seen over the past few hundred years. Forget a thousand. Yeah. A thousand years ago, you wind up in New York on a boat, and what are you? What are you looking at? Looking at some fucking wooden shacks that are huddled up together, eating beaver pelts. Yeah. The fuck are you looking at? You know, <laughs> this thing has changed so fast. I, I met a guy at a wedding a few years ago who was like one of the world's leading experts on seashells. Sounds kind of boring, right? But we ended up talking about wampum. And he told me something I'd never read anywhere, which, you know, wampum, right? It was made from seashells. This was like the I money. I know the, the name, but I don't know. What, it was money. It was that, money, That yeah. Native Americans used in the Northeast, right? When when the Dutch first arrived and the, you know, the very early days of New York is what reminded me of it. Um, it was made from a particular type of seashell that only grew in a certain area. So like all currencies, it had a very restricted source, you know, like gold or whatever, beaver pelts or whatever it was. That's, by the way, you know, that's why 20 bucks, that's deerskins. That deerskins really? were used as currency in the colonial period. Yeah, oh, that's wow. why we say 20 bucks. Yeah, but anyway, so the, the wampum, they'd make these belts of wampum that you could use to buy and sell things, right? So the Dutch, clever bastards that they are, figured out how they were making this wampum and what sort of seashells it was. And they they learned to cultivate that particular mollusk. <laughs> so they were basically printing, you know, counterfeit wampum. Wow. So they didn't even just rip off the Indians when they bought Manhattan. They They bought it with fake money. Holy shit. Fake Indian money. Yeah. That's hilarious. They bought it with seashells. Yeah. Imagine how much a condo goes for now and just think that the whole thing went for seashells. That's a lot of seashells. That's a change in the real estate market right there. You know what I love? I lived in Manhattan for a few years, and last year I was there. I worked in a, on a construction site, and since we're just talking randomly interesting things here, the guy, one of the, the laborers on the construction site explained to me why... The buildings are really high in Midtown, and then they go down, and then they go back up, and they're high again down in Wall Street in the financial district. You know, if you look at Manhattan mm -hmm. from New Jersey or from Queens or Brooklyn or whatever, the, I always thought that was just like, you know, what you're saying. It's like there are all these strange things that come together, whether it's finance or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever happenstance somebody wanted just to build here or there. Turns out, no, there's a logic to this. And the logic is that the – the the rock the ground the, the the geological rock comes up near the surface at midtown and then it goes way down again and then and there's you know soho and the village and all that and then it comes back up close to the surface 
at Wall Street. So to build a really tall building, you have to drill, anchor it into the rock. So you can't do that where there's a lot of dirt. You'd have to like dig down so far to get to it. You'd like excavate the hole. Ah. So you can only build a 50-story building where the bedrock is close to the surface and you can anchor it into there, right? So it's stable. Mm, totally makes sense. So what you're seeing when you look at that uh, skyline is like an echo of the geology of the island. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That is, a, that is, that is absolutely fascinating. Um, it brings me up to uh, this quote I, I was going to bring up earlier when you talked about Marshall McLuhan. A lot of folks don't know who Marshall McLuhan was, but he said a lot of amazing things. And one of the things he said, I think it was like in either the 50s. I think he said in the 50s. He said that man becomes the sex organs of the machine world. That's beautiful. <laughs> this is the craziest statement ever. Yeah. If you stop and think about how premature it was and, or, or how precocious it was to, to say that in whatever he said it, 1950 or 1960. Yeah. And look at what's going on now with our symbiotic connection to technology, the, the true machine that's taking over. That's I'm writing that down because I'm going to use that thing. Man. I've thought about that so many times without even having read his quote, but I wasn't able to put it so eloquently in my head. Yeah. Because that if that – that the, the, they look like a life form. I mean, I, I have skeletons in my garage. It's an old Mac, old shitty fucking like tan thing with the stupid rainbow apple on it. I have one of those things. It's like really old, and it's hilarious. I look at it. I'm like, this is like a dinosaur. It might as well be like a dead dinosaur, a dead useless thing. And now you know we don't have dinosaurs anymore. Now we got chickens. You know, now we got mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. I mean, it really does seem like. Yeah. I wrote an article about the future of sex for this uh, European – called the European Magazine. It's, I guess it's a German magazine, but they publish in English as well. They asked me to write this thing a few months ago, and I could have used that McLuhan quote. That was, that was <laughs> really good. But I, I said, like, basically the way I see the future of sex is peeling off in two different possible directions depending upon whether there's world collapse or not. And uh, if there's not – I see us, as many people do, merging with machines, what do they call it, the singularity, but also in terms of sexuality that, you know, now we've got fleshlights, but in a few years, we're going to have holographic images. We're going to have like it, the technology is always driven by this sexual hunger. There's a book called The Erotic Engine, where this guy argues that every communication advance was driven by money coming from erotic energy you know vhs tapes and the dvds and the internet like all the first money's coming in for porn mm. you know even photography first uh, adapters first time adapters like html5 and all that as, mm. as soon as people realized that the iphone wasn't going to uh, go with flash and that uh, HTML5 seemed like the, the future when it comes to uh, animated things online. Right. Porn went right to it. Sure. You know, whereas a yeah. lot of websites, you still, you go to it on an iPhone, and it'll show you the Adobe thing, not supported and <laughs> not porn. They yeah. figured it out right away. How to, on the ball. Yeah, they got to make it so you can watch people fuck on your phone. Yeah. Isn't it amazing, though, that that is uh, sort of, again, in the closet? It's sort of a, a background sort of reality, yeah. like 
all the banks in Miami being funded by cocaine. It's right. like everybody knows it, but nobody talks about it. Right. You know, why is there so many banks in Miami? Because that's where the fucking cocaine came from. Right. Why? Why is uh, why is technology moving towards HTML5? Why is you know what what is online streaming technology? Where's its roots? Its roots are in people watching people fuck. Right. That's where they got it right. down. That's where they right. got really good at it. Yeah, and that, that's where the money is. And that yeah. that might I mean what percentage of that was responsible for the development of the CD-ROM? What percentage of that, you know, how much? I would like to know. Yeah, check it out the erotic engine. That that's he talks about all that. Yeah. Because before the internet came along, I mean, how many people bought movies as opposed to how many people bought dirty movies? Yeah. What was the share of the market? It's a yeah. big fucking chunk, right? Yeah. Well, in the cinemas, you know, yeah. the, the porn. That was another thing from your book that I found completely fascinating that I didn't think about was how we have this idea of corporate America not being not prof, profiting in porn, but how, in, in fact, like chains of hotels yeah. are like the biggest porn providers in the world. Yeah. Yeah, they're making huge proportion of their profits from yeah. those on-demand movies. Last yeah. week when I was in San Diego, I literally went through the whole entire list of porn because there were so, so funny titles. It was probably 300 titles that they just had there. Mm-hmm. And they're selling for like, what, 20 bucks or something? Was, yeah, I think $10. Whatever it is, I mean that's yeah, pure yeah. profit at a certain point, you know. And once they pay the, the the licensing fee off or whatever it is, so them and you know who? What was the other example you had of uh, people that were profiting off a of porn that you would not expect? Mm, yeah, I, I don't remember. I remember the the corporate thing you're talking about, and I think the corporation in question might have been Coca Cola or somebody <laughs> owned by Mormons or some. It was some like really conservative public image but they were the biggest supplier to the hotel chains um yeah and they Chick-fil-A. were <laughs> that would be hilarious yeah. that would be it's only porn. anal <laughs> yeah. only chick-fil-a is only into chickens and dicks and asses that's it <laughs> the other day i interviewed nina hartley from oh. my podcast she's really interesting i had to run away from her she was on kevin Prayer's podcast and as soon as she was talking about how she only has sex with gloves on i was like bitch yeah. did you, say that? you, just, you so lost weird. me yeah you lost me bitch i gotta go <laughs> she only has sex with gloves well, she's on? all into fisting and fingering oh, and assholes oh. and pussies and she doesn't want fingernails and i mean it makes sense yeah. but it's because she's a goddamn professional i mean she's, she's got this pro, yeah. clinical snap <laughs> rubber glove <laughs> approach to sex well, she's also a nurse and she oh, also has a flashlight she has her own flashlight. Oh, that's right. She's got her own. It resembles model. a missile hitting a large mammal. <laughs> what what you would get? <laughs> nice lady. I mean, she look, is. she's an old freak. She's very she's smart. Old, yeah, she is smart. Super smart. She's an old hippie freak. That's what she is. You know. Yeah, but I gotta. That's where I gotta walk away. We start talking about. I only have sex with gloves on. Okay, you lost me. I just put a little bit of gold bond on it, and then I rub it with uh, my. She's gloves. not that old, dude. You made her like <laughs> pass. She's something past a milf, though, right? It's like we talked mature. about that. Yeah, she's yeah. in a new category. She's fifty three, fifty four, somewhere in there. Still yeah. fucking throwing down, throwing down. She's an educator. She's great. <laughs> You're talking about gloves, man. A friend of mine told me this story. He he was with a woman who's polyamorous. All right, and so he he you know whatever they were going out to dinner, and he gets a text from her a few hours before dinner saying. Look, um, I just want to be upfront about this, as polyamorous people often are. Um, my agreement with my partner is um, – what, what was the detail? The, the agreement is 
no no uh, intercourse. So we can do whatever else, but no intercourse, right? So he's thinking, well, geez, I thought it was just dinner, right? So I guess right. <laughs> that's pretty good news. I mean, it right. seems like everything else is on the table, you know? <laughs> so then they end up back at her place. And she says, oh, sorry, the, you know, we, the rule changed a little bit. Now it's like I know genital contact. So they're making out and she says, okay, sorry. You know, my boyfriend says no genital contact, right? So he says, okay, that's fine. So then she says, wait a minute. They're, they're getting all hot and heavy. She says, wait a minute. She goes to the other room. She comes back in. She's got these black latex gloves on. And she starts giving him a hand job. Because, like, apparently with the gloves, there's no contact. Right. And then she gives him a dildo. So there, there's like all this crazy stuff is going on. And right. he, he, he told me the story. He's like, this was so far beyond what I would have, you know, Hoped anticipated. <laughs> exactly. And it got really freaky because of these rules. And of course, it made me think about drugs. You know, like, hey, if coca leaf is illegal, well, then they're going to make cocaine. You know, if grass, if you can't just grow grass in your backyard, then you're going to get hydroponic, you know, super grass. It's like you make these rules, you know, like hard liquor, right? The prohibition is what started gin and all this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. right? So you make rules to try to contain a natural human appetite. And what happens is it gets explosive, right? Just like a bomb. The bomb needs the containment to be explosive. Otherwise, it's just nothing. Well, it's a natural human inclination that I can see loud and clearly with my kids. When you try mm. to keep kids from doing things, they automatically are like, why the fuck should I listen to you? I want That's what I want to do. <laughs> they get angry. It's like yeah. a, it's a natural human response because all of our entire history of, of humanity has been people trying to dominate people, people trying to control people. So our natural... Yeah thing is to resist control it's why the biggest sluts always have like super religious parents there right. you go jesus christ folks is it that easy does dr christopher ryan have to explain it that easy <laughs> yes although nina hartley's parents interestingly were communists who were blacklisted in berkeley really interesting yeah she's an old hippie yeah she's a she's Different. a she's an odd case she's an odd case. yeah she like she's one of the rare ones where you you always connect human uh like girls who are into porn or get into that you always connect it with some sort of an abuse yeah you know some human aberration right but now with her she seems like just a crazy old hippie freak yeah doesn't seem dirty it seems like she's having fun like yeah you know it's weird yeah, no, she's she's an interesting person. I enjoy. What is the what is the weirdest thing you've gotten out of this study of of human sexuality? Because it's the, your book is incredibly enlightening, and I think Duncan's uh, his his uh, definition of you as a shame exorcist <laughs> is really a perfect one because it it puts so many things into perspective and it makes it makes so many weird patterns of behavior that we follow. It sort of enlightens you on yeah. the the origins of them. But what is like one of the weirdest things that you found in this pursuit? Well, yeah, there are so many, you know, obviously these things pop up in every conversation. But I think one of the most uh, memorable and, and moving in a way was when I went looking for the first uh, documented case of uh, key parties and, you know, partner swapping and that sort of thing in, in modern America. Not these sex in the 19th century, but 20th century stuff. I thought it would be... Um, you know, some commune in Berkeley with a bunch of hippies and Hendrix posters and, you know, whatever, waterbeds and, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, but it wasn't. It was World War II fighter pilots in the Pacific 
who had the highest fatality rate of any branch of the military in World War II. 25% of them died in action. Whoa. When they were back on base, I guess in Hawaii or the West Coast, they had key parties where they and their partners would come to these parties, put the keys in, you know, like in the ice storm. I don't know if mm -hmm. you saw that movie, yeah. great movie, um, and randomly sleep with each other's wives or girlfriends, right? And, um, you know, it, it, these are all like super, you know, Macho. genetically, yeah, good-looking dudes, all alpha males, obviously, and the women they were with were hot. So I don't think anyone was worried about, you know, pulling the short straw out of the, you mm -hmm. know, the short key. Um, but, you know, it, I I thought, well, okay, sure, these guys are facing death. They want to get it while right. they can, right? But then in the interviews I read with the survivors, what they said was, yeah, okay, we were young, we were strong, we were have, you know, we were getting laid, but we could have gotten laid anywhere. You know, we could have gone to a bar and gotten laid. We did this because we wanted those other guys, we wanted our buddies to love our women so that. If I die, I know these guys will take care of her because they love her because they've been with her and they know her, right? It's like it, it moved me so much to read that because a lot of the accounts from the Amazon are the same. These guys are facing a difficult life. You know, they're, you can go hunting one day and you get – you're the huntee, you know. Things can go wrong really fast. So you want people to love each other, not – exclusively because then they take care of each other they take care of each other's kids they share their food they you know they look out for each other and that's really the essence of humanity have you uh explored the idea that the opposite trend that we are finding ourselves in now where people are gen gravitating towards monogamy at least culturally at least on paper yeah that this uh this move towards that ideal is because we're safer is because we're more likely to be protected. We don't need these. We and, and sort of it's a natural inclination yeah. to move towards like a deeper bond with one individual person. I don't know that I'd call it a natural inclination, but you know, I, I tend to see it more as a byproduct of institutional and economic right. forces. I see that as also being natural, and I know it sounds mm. very contradictory. No, I hear. But you. when yeah. I look at wolf behavior, yeah, I I don't take our crazy, fucked-up, weird behavior and not think that it's natural. Even though there's consciousness involved and choices involved, there's something about the pattern of human behavior when I look at it as a whole where I see it's kind of arrogant to assume that this isn't natural. It seems that almost everything yeah. is natural. That's the thing. It depends yeah. how you define right. natural, right? right? I mean, you could, if you take a real global perspective, you could say, as I tend to think of it, that we are not, we're the ants in the anthill. Right. And the anthill is what's evolving. And that's the sort of the, the, the location of the selection. In other words, as individuals, we think we're what's evolving. But I think what's evolving is societies, corporations, these mm -hmm. institutions that, that include us. And they don't give a shit if we're happy or not. Right. This this larger being that we're a part and of. And as we fuel them with electricity, with commerce, with whatever, they literally act like a life form. This exactly. is the same way as right. technology, like Marshall McLuhan said, right. we are the, the sexual organs exactly. of, of machines. Well, as we fuel the, the, the desire for new laptops, we keep that alive. Right, right. And, and you know, uh, when what Mitt Romney said, corporations are people, my friend. I don't think he was thinking in these terms. Right. 
But they're not people, but they're living beings. And they have a stake in staying alive. Right. They have a vested exactly. interest in Exactly. And if success. they have to step on us to do it, they'll do it. You know? How fucking crazy is that? And they can get people to do it for them. Frankenstein. Yeah. You know, that was the whole Frankenstein myth. And it's happened. Yeah. You know, don't fear it. Don't, you know, Hal in 2001. Right. Sure. It's here. It's, it's been happening for quite a while. Monsanto doesn't give a shit if they produce food that kills us. No. As long as they've cornered the market. Well, they also produce DDT and Agent Orange. Sure. So <laughs> it sells, right? <laughs> they've they've been making fucked up choices for a long time. You know what? I told that story about the pilots in San Diego. I was giving a talk down there, and this guy came up to me after, and he said, "I'm a I'm a I was a fighter pilot in Vietnam. Same thing. Different war. Same thing." Wow. So it's so, a natural behavior pattern. Apparently, it's a culture among fighter pilots that. A, they, well, that they're facing death, right? Mm -hmm. And and I found it. I've done a lot of research in hospitals, and I found a very amplified sexuality in hospitals among Makes doctors. Sense. Yeah, because they're facing cops death. as well. Cops, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Anybody who's on the edge, and Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan swings. He's fight that MMA fighter. No, he's not. He's just interviewed that? at the airport, Hulk and he Hogan. just said something silly. Everybody blew that out of proportion. Um, yeah, Hulk Hogan, uh, they used to, he was a wife swapper. Yeah? Yeah, it was on, on a video. A guys. The, 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 the coach wife. of the, the, was it the New York Jets or the Giants? Ryan. There was this, uh, did you hear about this? No. It's this controversy because there, was, there were pictures on the internet of him, his wife, and another dude. And the wife was like either naked or in lingerie, and the other dude was sucking her toes. Oh, or something. Jesus Christ! That's where I check out. <laughs> that's yeah, when, that's when you want the gloves. We're weird about that, man. We're real weird about that. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's fascinating to just see the the trends and how they've how they change with yeah. the environment. Yeah, and how different they are, as you were saying, in cultures. Like there was a – at the same time that thing was happening in the States and it was a huge to-do, there was a soccer coach in England who got nabbed coming out of a massage parlor, you know, with happy endings and all that. And the, you know, the press was there and they're snapping all these pictures and – and they said, do you know there are tie hookers in there? He said, of course I know there are tie hookers in there. That's why I go there. And it was like, what? How dare you not be ashamed? You know. And then they went and interviewed his wife. And his wife said, oh, God, if I could get him to go to tie hookers twice a week, I'd pay for it. It relaxes him. He's better at his job. You know, how is this any of your business? Just completely trump the the you know the the assumption that she'd be ashamed and run away from it like hey this is none of your damn business sounds like he got a good wife he I, nailed it imagine if the clintons had done that <laughs> maybe they did in private you know maybe well, i think they did maybe hillary I mean, was they... just mad that he wasn't bringing chicks home <laughs> i mean who knows who fucking cares either exactly. right that's the... whose business is it oh just it's it is so weird how the desire for sex and our, our appetite for sex is not represented in any way i mean it's represented a bit in the media and film and in advertising and stuff like that but it's not honestly it's not honestly engaged it's not honestly described it's funny though because like i saw this cartoon or in a cartoon a commercial uh couple of weeks ago for uh, some plunger or some plumbing thing to clear your drains and it the the idea was and it was you know the whatever the major brand plumbing thing is and this stuff has the chemical nastiness but it also has like a plastic thing you can stick down to pull the hair 
thing out. And so it was like double action, right? And so the ad was this woman answers the door and it's this really good looking dude. And the dude's like, yeah, I'm here to snake your drain, baby. Ooh. And she says, oh, oh. And she's like all flustered and, oh, yes, come with me. And then someone else knocks and she opens. It's another dude. And he's like, yeah, I'm here to help. Oh, oh, two of you. Oh. What, and, what country? It's here in the States. And I, I linked to it. I, I tweeted. I said, has this actually been on TV? Because someone sent me the link on YouTube. I said, has anyone seen this on TV? And a bunch of people wrote back and said, oh, yeah, I've seen it on TV. It's on. I'm like, wow. Hmm. Wow. What's up with that? Well, congratulations, whatever company put that out. Congratulations for sneaking that through. Can, yeah. we, can we end on that? Can we pull yeah, that commercial? Pull it up. What's it, it called? It's quite good. It's, it's, I think it's plunger, dual action plunger or whatever that Let's chemical. See if we can find that, dude. Tool action plunger. <laughs> That's hilarious. And the woman's like in the grocery store and she sees these two guys and has this whole fantasy. Um, what's going on with that TV show? That, the, yeah, it's actually, idea. Well, it's great, man. Last time I was here, I guess we talked probably off the air about yeah. it a little bit. Um, like a whole shitload of production companies want to do it. Everybody it's thinks it's going to go. Is this it? Yeah. Double impact. Double impact, she said. I'm here to snake your Ooh, drink. She's hot, too. He's hot, too. Oh. Mike, come on in. I'm here to flush your pipe. Okay. <laughs> what a good kid. Wow, she's letting her hair down and everything. Meanwhile, he's going to go upstairs, and it's just nothing but shit floating in her bowl. And she takes these massive logs. Yeah, look at her poop. Yeah, these fucking make a, wood chips. Make a sword poop. out of that. It's just snot and blood. And you got the very white voiceover. <laughs> and she just woke up. That's her. That's her fantasy. Yeah, the undersex housewife. Shit's reality. And the gay guy holding the fruit. The melons. <laughs> gay guy working with the melons. <laughs> the two of them are just going to use her as an excuse to get together. That's how they're doing. That's what double penetration is. When two guys, when they're both in the vagina at the same time, they're just using the woman as a container so they could rub dicks. Become scrotum buddies. Yeah, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Listen, uh, fascinating again. Three hours just flew right by, man. Yeah. We could do this every time. We still talked about like one paragraph in your book. <laughs> we'll, cov <laughs> we'll cover it one page. But it's a brilliant yeah. book. And uh, folks, if you haven't read it, it's called Sex at Dawn. You can get it on Amazon, which is a sponsor of the show. Um, it's available as an audio book. It's also available, of course, uh, in, in, in book form. And it's fucking great. And you're, you were working on another book, too. Is that, Civilized to Death. Is that, is that coming out soon? It's due October 1st, should come out next spring, unless I don't get to it. But, um, <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to start real soon. Sex is Dawn, it's available now. And your podcast, how do people get it? Tangentially speaking, uh, you can get it at uh, feralaudio.com or you can get it on iTunes. It's on iTunes, beautiful. Yeah. And uh, it's Chris Ryan, PhD, on Twitter. And thanks, brother. Really appreciate hey, it. Really, really fun. enjoyed it. Always good thank times. You. Always good times. All right, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, everybody, came out to Nashville this weekend. We had a great fucking time. Nashville was awesome awesome I, it was exactly what i needed I wanted to go to uh, a small club and uh, work out some new material and man there's nothing like working at a comedy club i've been doing a lot of theaters lately i forgot how much fun it is to do a weekend uh, like a 300 seater nashville is awesome what a fucking great town thank you everybody who came out because uh, i had the time of my life it was it was beautiful and tommy buns was with me as well tom segura that's great. We had a great time. It was seriously some of the best sets I've ever had in my life. You people were amazing. 
Um, thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you go to squarespace.com forward slash Joe, you can sign up. You don't even have to use your credit card, but if you decide to sign up, use the code name Joe and the number three, and you will save yourself some moolah, you sexy bitches. And you're like, no way, Joe. And I'm like, yeah, way. Save some money, and it's an awesome fucking website. We're also brought to you by Onnit.com. That's O-N-N-I-T. Use the code name Rogan, and you can save yourself 10% off any and all supplements. Go to Rogan.Ting.com. That is our last and final sponsor. Um, that's Ting. Ting is the, the cell phone company that doesn't have contracts and rolls over your minutes, and they're just basically badass. Rogan.Ting.com will save you 25 bucks off either service or a phone. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with the great Bill Burr, one of my favorite human beings and one of the funniest comics working today. Yeah. And uh, so we'll see you then, you fucks. We love the shit out of you, and we'll see you soon. Big kiss. Mwah.